Hello, hello! It's another episode of the Gaming Memories Podcast. I, your host, Robocrip, the blessed beat maker who hath been commissioned by the gaming gods themselves, Miyamoto, the father, Kojima, the son, and Carmack, the Holy Ghost, commissioned me to bring back the one true video game podcast. In order to do so, I was simply told to interview creative and interesting people about their gaming memories growing up, and that's exactly what we're doing today. Today's guest is Headphone Activist. Arguably, I'm pretty sure the biggest musical guest as far as following online. It's been on the podcast. Uh, half of X and G, uh, Gazia is how I actually met. Headphone activist is um, been on the podcast as well. X and G are pretty big. We also had Lev- Levitate. Check Aviate. Haven't checked in any of them out. Definitely check them out. They're all dope as shit. But uh, super grateful that someone of his stature would be willing to grace his presence. On our dorky little podcast for us in the little pocket of listeners down here in Nerdville. Anyway, he makes some really dope music. I will put all the applicable links in the podcast description. He's headphone activist everywhere on the, on the internets. Just headphone activist. You're going to find him. And the outro song, I'm also, instead of the usual one, I'm going to drop in one of his beats. One that I found that's super pretty. Reminds me of like a, a, a Tycho-esque beat. Very chill. Very melodic. Um, makes like chill, trap. As far as what I can tell, he's got a lot of music, very prolific, and uh, is creative as well. Not just in music. He writes screenplays and shit. He's just an all-around badass. Very grateful for him to come on the podcast. As far as what else has been going on, guys, I got some dope shit incoming with lots of PS1 footage been recorded at the highest fidelity possible. I've been gone full anal on this shit when it comes to capturing PS1 footage. I've just, I've gone down to the bottom of the rabbit hole. I'm about to hit a black hole where I'll never return. But I wanted to start creating really high quality emulation footage of old games as like a showcase of what you can do with emulators, especially with community mods and stuff. And my first project was to play through Final Fantasy VIII and get all of the boss fights in 4K with like a whole bunch of mods. Mods that replace the backgrounds, upscale, all the character textures, uh, model swaps, texture swaps, all sorts of quality of life improvements. Like all the coolest mods you could put together. I spent me like two days probably just modding the game. And then I went through with boost, blasted through the game, which was actually pretty damn fun. The game game is a little bit lower on my uh, total Final Fantasy ranking after playing it. There's some serious problems with that game, but I had a blast playing through it, and I got all the bosses. So I wanted to archive all the boss footage, and then I'm going to do all the summons and all the spells. Capture that footage in 4K like with all the best mods, taking all the extra time to make sure my capture loses no quality and my rendering is all at the highest everything to maintain as much of the quality as possible. And then I've been running that footage through experimenting with both Final Fantasy VIII, Vagrant Story, Mega Man Legends, lots of these old classics, running it through machine learning AI, a program called Flow Frames, which can use various algorithms like Dane or Write, which are... Algorithms that have been taught via machine machine learning how to interpolate frames, and they're surprisingly good. Now, there's issues. There's artifacts. Sometimes I have to edit around the artifacts, but it gives you a really cool idea of what some of these old PS1 games, if you could run them at 60 frames a second, would look like. Now, the issue being, even though modern computers are vastly have enough headroom in terms of power to run these PS1 games, I think the main issue, from what I understand, I'm not like one of the geniuses that go in and create these emulators and, and, and do all these tweaks and mods, but the 
frame rate, I think for most PS1 games, is often tied to the logic. And so when you don't, when you break that, it breaks. It basically breaks almost all the games for the most part, from what I understand. And that's a problem outside of just uh, PS1 games as well. So you have a lot of these old games, even that have been remastered and put on the PC because they just basically port it over and keep the game's internal logic. Final Fantasy VIII on the PC doesn't run at 60 frames a second. It's like 15 frames in the battlefield. So, and then 30, uh, I believe it's 15 in battle, 30 in field, like with the pre-rendered backgrounds. Anyway, I'm getting way into the weeds. You guys don't need to know all this shit. I configured it so we could get a sense of if the battle system actually ran at 60 frames a second, this is what it would be like. And I achieved that using machine learning algorithms. Then I'm uploading all that footage onto YouTube as sort of my deeper content. I've been like going deep down the rabbit hole. I had this thing coming with Mega Man Legends using some like cell shaded filters it really makes the game look like a new game and because of the art style of Mega Man Legends it makes the AI interpolation for 60 FPS extremely accurate when you add that cell shading because there's there's black lines around all the objects so the AI is very it's easy for the for the program to determine what the next frame should look like because it's because of the art style essentially and there's almost no artifacts when interpolating Mega Man Legends footage with that cell shaded filter by the emulator it's uh it's impressive we have more of that content coming Coming down. Anyway, I'm rambling. I've been playing a lot of old PS1 games, archiving them, and just geeking out on like how far can you push emulators. I've been playing around with Metal Gear Solid. That's another one, the original PS1. You can do some really cool shit. Uh, yeah, so check out the YouTube channel. I have a bunch of new stuff incoming around that, deeper content in that regard. Other than that, headphone activists, fucking badass dude. Oh, by the way, we, uh, fair warning, I don't think we talk about video games until about 45 minutes in because we're too busy bro flirting, uh, just getting down, getting to know each other. I, was, I had a fantastic time. The dude's a badass. I could see myself hanging out with him and having many conversations. I felt like we had a uh, like a great energy going on. I hope that translates to you guys. Headphone activists, I say these things in the name of me and what I thought I'd the sun. And Carmack, the Holy Ghost, amen, and enjoy the show. I'm kind of confused because for a while I thought you were from Utah and then it seemed like you weren't from Utah, but you know, a bunch of producers from Utah. So what's the mystery? Are you from Utah or not? Yeah. So I live in Utah currently. I'm from Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. I ended up out here five years ago. I was uh, traveling and playing shows. And I met my girlfriend who lives here and I ended up moving out here. That's how I kind of got to know everybody in the scene. Uh, like Christian, the guys at like X and G, mm-hmm. um, all the mutual people you and I know. It's just kind of built over the past five years. We're actually moving though here in two months, which I'm kind of excited about. We're going to be heading back east, which will be a nice change up to get back into a little more green, a little less desert. You know, what's the uh, motivation for leaving Utah going east? Uh, so we have uh, a really nice place here and the housing market's like ridiculous right now, specifically here and in the Midwest. So we're selling our place here, going back to spend some time with my dad, help him fix up his place. And then uh, houses out there cost like one third what they do out here. Mm. So we'll be able to get like a really nice upgrade uh, as opposed to, I don't know, here we'd have to pay. I think it's like a minimum of like six hundred thousand, which is insane. Dude, the price, yeah, it is. It is chaos right now. Like it's, I don't know a ton about economics or the housing market and all that stuff. But as a layman, 
it just seems so bewildering. The prices don't make sense. That if yeah, it, there's so many people who live on yeah. our planet now. And then if you look at the valley from like Google Earth, it's basically been completely built, other than the one like northwestern quadrant or I guess southwestern quadrant. And then out after that, like the whole thing's pretty much been built out. So there's that. There's the fact that most people who live here don't want to move, obviously, because yeah. it's an awesome place to live. So in other cities, you'll have like a general overturn of people coming in and out. For example, like New York, there's always people coming in, always people leaving. But a lot of people who live here don't want to leave. So since they kind of put their roots into the ground and there's limited space, the price just continues to go oh. up. You know? That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that like metric. What percentage of people stay long yeah. term? And then I mean, I've been here for five years. That's way longer, you know, than I thought I'd be here for. <laughs> so you sh- you you came to play a show, met your girlfriend, and decided let's just stay. Yeah. So I played a show, uh, came back (laughs) the second time I came back and that's when we actually met properly, but I had already like kind of developed a cool, like group of people out here who, uh, sorry, who booked you for that first show? So my two friends, Taryn and Kevin, they Uh, ran a a thing called smoke signals, which was like a monthly downtown. Yes. They're not really doing the events as much anymore, but at the time they were great. They tied in perfectly with what was happening in the music world and they were getting so many good acts to come through. So when they asked me, I was stoked because I kind of saw like who they'd brought before and was like, wow, this is great that they throw me in with all these other guys that I love, uh, artistically speaking. But second time they brought me back, Kevin's wife actually introduced me and my girlfriend, uh, Nat, and then... I was working from home. I had my own marketing company I'd built on top of the music stuff I was doing. So I could kind of do that anywhere and came to visit, stayed with her for like a week. We both decided it was a good fit and then flew home, settled a few things and then drove cross country. And that was May. Wow. So this is like a fast, how much time in between the first show and the second show? And were you talking to her during that phase? It was a year between the first show and the second show. I met her at the second show. And then we talked for like four or five months. Okay. And then I came out and then within a week we made the call on that because it was one of those things where we had already connected on like a daily basis. And then it was just like, let's hang out in person for a week and get a sense of how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I came out here, it was great because we've kind of just gone through like the flow of a relationship without like me moving out here and getting a place and then realizing that I should have just, you know, moved in with her. So we've been able to initially we got to help each other with bills and costs. Secondly, we got to both live with somebody after both being like on our own for five years uh, in our own lives. So that like comfort of having somebody around was a really cool change of pace. And then the other thing that was great is uh, we didn't have to go through like a year or two of trying to figure out if we should live together then doing that and realizing it's not going to work. So we we're just kind of like, we'll try it. If it works, awesome. If not, you can go back to your life and I'll go back to mine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been five years. So it's, it worked Dang. out pretty well. So far, so good. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's some interesting overlap. I uh I I got booked with Taryn a lot. Good guy. I agree with everything you said about him. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I've wanted to get him on the podcast a couple of times. He's like you know that joke about meme dealer. Taryn's my meme dealer. Got it. He's one of the only reasons I ever get on Facebook is because he I know he's going to have a meme for the day and it's going to be good. <laughs> he's, he's to me pretty much ideally like what social media was designed for. I mean, there's a lot of like 
aspects of it, but like the Twitter sphere, you know what I mean? I know yeah. he doesn't use Twitter, but if he would have got on Twitter early, he'd probably have close to a million followers yeah. at this point, just because of how much his fingers on the pulse. He's a good with, curator. Like, and yeah, have, and yeah. trends and kind of like getting ahead of the curve on being like, you should check this out. This is going to be hot in a few months. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I also, I pieced on the the music thing to start a marketing company. So what? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, my thing was like, okay, I think after like seven or eight years, I was just thinking about if I add up all the time producing and traveling and I'm like, I'm making like three bucks an hour. And, it's, uh, it's, it's rough. Crazy. Yeah. The yeah. margins are not in anybody's favor yeah. in that world. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and I, I just knew, like, I knew what it took. I was like, man, you got to go, like, 10 years all in. And that's not a guarantee. That just buys you a ticket to the lottery. Then there's still a lot of things that are out of your control. But you don't even have a chance if you're not all in. It's true. That's what I had to do. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I just thought, like, uh, I just wasn't confident enough. And uh, I got in, I knew a little bit about marketing. And I'm like, I can probably just make money and get that sorted and then i can do whatever i want it doesn't matter if i make it yeah so it's like a, a side route to get there it's it's a good route though to go because like even now um at my 10 year mark like i've had a lot of great stuff happen but i hit a new crossroads where it's like okay so at this point i could either uh continue to do what i'm doing make the art that i love have the fan base that i have and kind of like go off into the sunset if you will metaphorically yeah like uh in a very like peaceful uh i'm satisfied looking back at my work over 20 years perspective um or i can sacrifice all of that for paycheck and then basically let markets promoters agents and managers dictate like what i play oh, the type of music yes. i'm pushing and basically uh the way i explain it is like my if i did if i would go that route my 20 year old self would punch my 30 year old self in the face <laughs> if he met him yeah, you know? yeah so that's kind of the new thing i've been at lately where it's like okay like yeah um i know other people who are absolutely getting paid more for shows and in some cases there's the random few who do win the lottery ticket that can play the exact music they want and get the shows they yeah. want and yeah. get that money i kind of dip my toe in that side of side of it though and realize for myself that's not going to work so i'm just kind of moving back into this really nice flow of i just make art build my catalog in a similar aesthetic to artists like apex twin or flying lotus yeah where it's just like this is what i was in the mood like i was in this mood when i wrote this and then i just put it online i just put a big yeah. uh, mystery behind any of it it's just art you know and since i like electively decided that and then to diversify myself into more unique uh fields like uh learning more about crypto blockchain technologies making money from like that side of thing it's been great because i have the streaming royalties coming in the blockchain trading coming in and then i don't have to really worry about uh oh i'm not relevant or am i relevant <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> am yeah. i gonna get booked am i sitting around all summer waiting to get a phone call to say come, hey come play this show how much was this last little china band dip it was a pretty solid crash like a month ago three weeks ago yeah so um i hang out with a lot of guys who are doing like uh, everything from analysis of coins to charts, uh, a lot of dudes uh, who specifically moved over from like penny stocks and the Wall Street side of things and now just handle uh, crypto. And the crash has been interesting because one, they're saying we're definitely a little overevaluated, but the main reason for the crash more than anything is just market manipulation. Because I agree. 
for like one My one sense. thing, the articles that they were posting when the crash happened in May, it was based off of stuff that had come out actually like two or three years ago. Everybody was just running the same piece at the same time, which could totally p- like play out that somebody just contacted a bunch of news outlets, paid the money to run the article, yeah, and hit the market hard. The same like fourteen days that, that happened, Elon Musk went on his like Doge coin, yeah. Twitter spree, which was, you know, well, he's had what, like a few phases of Dogecoin yeah. Twitter fees. <laughs> but that that was definitely the one that like was really like rocking the market. That tied in with like SNL, his SNL. Yes, the SNL too. hype. Everyone was tripping over that. They're yeah. losing their even my Uber driver on the way to the airport was trying to sell me Dude. Dogecoin. Dude, I had a 70-year-old guy talk yeah. to me about crypto on the way home from the airport and i went to training the next day and i was i have a friend who's in crypto i'm like i'm not a mark i don't do ta i'm not what i like i call them chart heads yeah I, i'm becoming just, a chart head yeah because yeah. <laughs> I, I but uh i was like i if this isn't like i know the phases and i'm like this sure feels like euphoria like if i was going to guess because i just kept getting approached by people and it I don't know. It was, I don't know if it was coincidence. We had this conversation like, man, I think it's going to go south. And we both sold a little bit, but uh, it went way more south than I was expecting. Yeah. Well, the other, um, the other factor that kind of ties in with that too. And this is, I think, the most important thing. Like, if I was explaining this to anybody in regards to saying, like, what causes the crash, if you look at like the entire portfolio of market cap for crypto, not just uh, Bitcoin, but like every single coin collectively together. The market cap and evaluation is smaller than any Fortune 500 company. So like Apple, Amazon, uh, Google, all of their portfolios are still stronger than the entire crypto space is one, financially yeah. speaking. And you can so, move that around. With, that's what I'm yeah, saying. So yeah. all it takes is one big guy to really come in there and be like, sure, like I have, you know, however many billions of dollars, I'll take 500 million out of that and just fucking... Uh, crash it, take it up, crash it again, take it up, crash it again, because there's no regulations yet, and yes. the regulations that are there are based more around the exchanges as they are towards the individual. The only thing the individual runs into are tax-related things, which those guys have a team that can help them figure that out. Yeah. So that's what I think is the biggest thing that's crazy because, like, as the crash is happening, you're seeing the adoption in El Salvador. Yes. Paraguay's looking at doing the same thing. All these companies like Michael Saylor, MicroStrategy, and all those dudes are talking about how much they've invested in the the, the coin and into the sector. And it's obvious that the sector is going to grow long term, but it's equally obvious that like a whole group of people are like, well, we're not going to buy it at 60,000. We're just going to tank yeah. it and get it as low as we can and move it around the market and keep collecting and keep collecting. And then next thing you know, one day when people are saying, you know, $100,000 a coin, $150,000 a coin. That will happen. It's just they're going to make us sit sideways yeah. <laughs> for however long until they push as many of us out as they can. Yeah, I agree. You're making me, you're making your help. Sometimes I do get a tiny bit of FUD creeps in. Ah, I, I worried, I worry about market manipulation. And I, I've, I wanted to ask you since it's become obvious to me that you're balls deep into crypto. Yeah. Just based on you're also really well spoken, by the way. I don't know. No, thank you. That. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. A, Likewise, <laughs> there's someone you remind me of a mix of one of my old marketing managers and Tim Ferriss, like your cadence and your rhythm, like when you talk. Anyway, it's good. That's cool. Well, high I praise. appreciate that. No, no yeah. likewise. Thank you. Thank you. But I wanted to ask you, and I promised the listeners I will get to fucking video games, but I haven't had a yeah. crypto talk. <laughs> no, you're good. Bit. Tether, do you feel like how how much bite do 
the tether rumors have so in your mind? M- my take on that is if you're going to move into the sector and like really have your money there, focus on things like USDC, like more stable mm-hmm. coins per se. And then I only trade with tether in regards to things that only move in tether, like Solano or yes. things like that. And then if I make profits off of that, I transfer the tether to USDC generally, or I'll just use the tether to buy up some Ethereum. Are you uh, are you stacking, staking, or yield farming, or doing any DeFi? Uh, I'm I'm still trying to get my foot through the door right now. I'm really just kind of watching the charts and learning everything okay. I can. Uh, my biggest thing has been you're learning the utilities, so I can respect the difference between if you look at something like DFT Wealth, which is like a, a, a D, DeFi fiat thing. A ton of people from the Doge sector were really into that for a while and moved all their Doge over into DeFi, and that went from 0.04 down to 0.00008 inside of a month. So the most important thing I'm doing right now is I'm kind of viewing the sector like the dot-com craze from the late 90s and early 2000s, where there's going to be a million companies that come through, but only maybe 50 of them will ride the tide and become the next Amazon, metaphorically speaking, the next Google, the next Tesla. Yeah. Or whatever, and I'm trying to just kind of figure out what will those 50 kind of be, and then when will those 50 go down to 30, which is like the selling of Yahoo, AOL, <laughs> yes. like that, yeah. and then eventually, like who are the you know the ones who will be here for like the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years and become the Twitters, the Facebook, the what have you of the sectors that kind of just you know build Instagram, build freaking what is uh not uh the the meme not snapchat but i'm trying to think of what the phone app thing is called i have it on a network like a product yeah an it's app? it's a, it's an app i just can't think of what it a is i have it app. on my phone tiktok yeah the oh TikTok. yeah TikTok. basically the companies that will go on to build future companies and be massively yes. successful long term and aren't just going to be like oh this was hot for like three months and then everybody sold and it dumped. I'm definitely focusing more on the companies that are helping make finance easier for people to send money to third world countries and not getting taxed like crazy on it. It sounds like I'm going to take a wild guess. It's a pretty divisive coin, but I'm very bullish. Is ADA. Are you into ADA? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cardano and Charles Hoskins team is like, I mean, they're about as good as it gets in the uh, sector. I'm glad you say that because he's been a very divisive personality online. And when I look at him, listen, I've listened to maybe like probably like a total of 10 hours of him talking based on videos and podcasts, like a decent amount of time. I, I just every time I hear him talk, I'm like, this dude, he's as good as it gets. He's, he's, he's pretty much like a rock star. Like, I know people might have trouble understanding that because, you know, like he's really into like healthy eating and like mushroom growing and you know, he doesn't look like, say, John Stamos or something like yeah. that, but he really is going to be like a rock star more so in the sector than he already is. Like once adopt adaptation comes in and uh, China's yen coin comes out and the Fed release their own like federal uh, coin, he's going to be like one of the people you'll probably see on CNBC, yeah. uh, Fox, like they'll be reaching out to him, trying to have him uh, come out and talk because Vitalik's awesome. The guy who started Ethereum, but he's very much so he, he's just, he's all about the technology, you know, like he just wants to sit there and make the tech better and continue to do that. And then travel the world where Hoskinson's really strikes me as somebody who like people would be investing in the company purely just off of who he is as a person. hundred percent. Yeah. One of the most, he's, common, he's like an Elon Musk. Yeah. yeah. One of the most common comments I see people mention is every time Charles speaks, I buy more ADA. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you get a chance to see the Lex Friedman podcast? Thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was the moment that was like the minute it was live. I was on that shit. I've been waiting for it. That one was really good. I loved the fact that Vitalik was on a few weeks before, too, because it really gave you a comparison of like the two companies and like the way both of them think. Vitalik's been on Lex twice. Um, yeah, I, I had really I haven't watched the first one. I had only seen the most recent one. I mean, the most recent one's better because it's most it's recent. What I loved was that it seemed like out of all the interviews I'd seen, Vitalik was so comfortable talking to Lex yes. out of like all the press conferences and <laughs> all that crap. He really seemed like he was actually enjoying himself uh, during that interview, which made me enjoy listening to the interview that much more. Yeah, Lex might be my he might be my new favorite. He's replaced uh, Rogan. 100% for sure. Yeah. yeah, we're like the same person. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're just better, way better at music. No, no, no. I appreciate that. You're better with the technology than I am. So. Maybe. Well, I don't know, but I'm happier into Ada. He's just, most people that I get to look into Ada, they come back like, man, this, this seems like a really solid project. And I get more and more validated because it's like not just my brain sees a pattern that looks good to me but uh, other people's brains are seeing it too so here's here's where i think you if you're gonna see any like grief or strife on ada this is the only logical side of it when you look at chart heads as we said they're gonna kind of like down ada a bit because from their perspective they're like oh it only moves between like one or two dollars generally and it's like yeah like it's not you know an all-star coin like the way ethereum moves or solana moves or even things like polka dot or chain link but cardano wasn't really designed for that no. charles's whole approach is like saying hey like when we started blockchain I'll, like before it became like this thing where we're having conventions in miami and there's wars on twitter and reddit over it and market manipulation like the original guys who were really into it had the concept of saying how can we make the third world have an easier way of accessing the first world and how can we continue to help try and create the world to be an easier and safer place for all of us to live in financially speaking and he just kind of he hasn't lost sight no. of that original plan through all the evaluations and the insane amount of money that's coming into the sector he's still just like yeah dude like we got to help people out in africa got to help people yeah. out in the middle east like yeah. that's what we're here to do <laughs> he's also he ties that in really well as a leader and in attracting investors because he also makes a really strong case of why it's financially smart to invest in Africa, not just the ethical and moral aspect, but he also argues for the business aspect and the infrastructure and how he views Africa in the next 20 years. And uh, he thinks they're going to become this huge economic force, partially probably because he believes in Cardano being successful, facilitating yeah. that. But I mean, it could ha it could happen, though, because if you look at um, the United States, for example, like our our parents and like their their parents were like all a part of like the industrial age in America. And then since our generations come across, it's basically everything gets outsourced now. And other countries are building the way America used to build with, you know, producing steel and products and things like that. And then America's juke was to move more into tech and basically have social media and social networking kind of be the new industry side of it and medical, of course. But my, my, my point is all it takes is a company's ability to navigate or a country's ability to navigate itself and say, hey, we're going to go you know, try this new attempt and see how it works out for us. And like, you look at what El Salvador is doing with like the volcano energy for mining and things like that. It's like, you can see El Salvador become like a very prosperous country in the next few decades. Like mm. who's to say Africa couldn't have the same thing happen as a continent in some ways. It's, it's, it's just 
we're too connected now and the technology is getting too good for people to just think that like wealth can only exist within nations that already have wealth and no new nations can eventually catch up you know yeah i agree i when i play that simulation out in my mind i often come to this same conclusion where is barring any black swan event I don't know any, I can't say anything about coins in the long term and companies in the long term, but barring any black swan event, blockchain is going to fundamentally, fundamentally change everything again, like the internet. And that's like a, it's like a black box. You, you can't, we can look back at the internet now and analyze the path that it took and we can map that onto like what might happen to blockchain. But in reality is like, we don't really know how these things play out, but what you do know is it's going to get big and then it's like, things are going to change. That's like a, it's almost inevitable. Like, it's inevitable. And we don't really know how that's going to play out, but chances are, if you have some crypto and, you, and you're paying attention, like the odds could be in your favor. And that's how I've always viewed it. I just, and I'm, I just hold, I'm a crow. I'm a, I like hodl. That's my thing. Is so absolutely. I, I just, I'm just going to, I'm just trying to bank what I can elude, what I can afford to um, put away. And uh, we'll see what happens in 10 years. I, I mean, <sighs> I think a lot of it, like what we're seeing right now is I stand by what I said. It's pushing average Joes out of the market so one percenters can get as much as they can. Yes. And that's that's pretty much where it begins and ends with it for me. In terms of long-term holding, I say this every time. I use that quote from Jonah Hill in Wolf of Wall Street. It's like getting in on sunlight before there was sunlight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do. I, 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 that's how I feel. And I feel really bad. I, uh, I recommend, like, there's some people that came to me, like, right before this big crash. And they're like, I'm actually going to get into crypto. And I told all of them, like, look, you can buy stuff right now. Market seems weird. It could keep going crazy or it could crash tomorrow. Like you just got to only put in what you can afford to just not like basically to sit on for a year. I just, yeah. To make it simple, I was like, just think about it. You can't touch it for a year. Don't worry about what happens in between. But a bunch of people, just like I had this one kid text me. Like I didn't know this at the time. I can't read the future. It was the day before. Oh, before like uh, the crash everything crashed. Yeah, he's, like, yeah. he's like, I got three grand. What would you do? And I'm like, split it between Bitcoin, Ethereum, and ADA. I don't know. Like that's like the best thing I could think of. Like just that's their top coins. They're probably not going anywhere in the long term in the next five years. Well, and if they do crash, the most likely recover. They'll come recover. Yeah. That, that was my thinking. Like. No. If the crash happens and he can hold on to it for a year, he should be fine. And then he texts me the next morning, bro, all my money's gone. Oh, man. <laughs> I was just like, Jesus, I'm so sorry, dude. I like, I promised you. I had no idea. No, like, I, I, crypto. I, it, it happened to my friends too. My take on it was I'd been like kind of like squirrel funding away a few hundred dollars a month for the past. I, I couldn't even tell you how long knowing that I was probably going to get uh, into the sector. And then the crash happened and I was like, cool, here's my window. Yeah. Like now's the time for me to really dive in uh, with like a trillion dollar loss in less than 30 days. <laughs> yeah. It is a good, like, people ask now, I'm like, yeah, it's a semi, it's safer to buy now than it was a month ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, go ahead and look at what you think. And uh, I have one more crypto thing. Then we got to get to video games. I pr- yeah. People are going to riot. Like, I thought this was a video game podcast. This is whatever I feel like is what it is. People it's who all listen, good. Know, the way yeah. the way I put it to tie in with like the Uber driver and the seventy year old man you talked about, crypto right now is what Fortnite was a few years ago. You can't leave your house without somebody asking you about it or talking about it. Or yes, it's just it's what's on everybody's mind and everybody's talking about it. So, trust me, I get it. We're all in the same boat of just trying to be like, what the hell is going to happen with this thousand pound whale? Like, is it going to sink or is it going to swim? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. 
I mean, I, I, or I guess I, just float there. Yeah. <laughs> what was what was your last question though? <clears throat> My last question was so I asked if you were into in, into DeFi products and you're not into the coins or the smaller projects, but do you do any yield farming? Like, do you store any of your stable coins at an interest rate? So I'm I'm starting to. I'm currently trying to figure out which exchange is going to actually survive because with all the regulations coming in and like seeing what just happened with uh, Binance, if you're familiar with yes. them getting banned, yeah. Uh, my big thing right now is if I'm going to stake, I want to make sure that my stake holds because we're talking about, you know, one, three, five years yes. on a site to get these returns. And for my side, it's like, well, I need to make sure that the site's still available. And then if it crashes, I'll, I need to know that there's a system in place that I can transfer it from that wallet to another wallet. Yep. Um, and if it does crash and I can't transfer it, do I also get the funds from that? Or was that all just speculation off of some numbers on their website and they don't actually have the funds to pay out uh, what's owed to me in my uh, interest? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm literally just reading into it right now because my my take on it right now is kind of it's it's scary. That's the part that scares me the most is the fact that I store my money somewhere and then find out that uh, because of the way regulations are set up or not set up that they could just kind of like shut the whole thing down, pull the rug from under me. And I agree 100%. I never, yeah. I never see my money back. Whereas if I just, you know, bought it, put it in a solid cold storage wallet or kept it on like Coinbase or something like that, I could just keep it there. And as the sector grows, I'll just take my profits off of the long-term growth. Yep. I agree. I, this is one of the reasons I was initially attracted to ADA was you get a decent yield with just holding proof of stake coins and i'm like that's not an exchange that's not a company it's an integral part of how the entire system works absolutely uh, and it's like it's not quite a cold wallet because it, but you have like it's an offline wallet that you access but to pay you have like two choices right now i feel a little bit safer with that but i agree i i looked at uh i had that same thought but i eventually came down to the point of i just don't know like what's going to be safe so i sort of split everything up to sort of the, the hard part was like if you split up too much in a way you increase your risk because now you're on a bunch of different platforms and the probability that some of your money gets taken away for something like you were describing yeah. it's higher because you're on more you're on more platforms but it's a smaller amount so i i just played i looked at i found like six I split it into a, like a chunk of six. I think that's smart. My take on it is do something like that and then just do your research. And I'm saying this more generally to anybody listening. The more research you do, the easier all your decision making will be. The number one thing that blew my mind in this sector more than anything, more than the technology or the global improvements or anything that's coming, the adoption, all of that. The number one thing that blew my mind is how many people tried to push me into the sector years ago. I said, no, I'm not ready to do that. What I'll do is I'll go buy some NVIDIA stock. And if, because at the time people were using the cards to mine regularly with, and I was like, if the sector does well, great. If not, I still have gaming there and graphic design and everything. That's actually not a bad, that's pretty rational. Yeah, no, they, I was I was basically investing in like the core root of what crypto was at the time in regards yes. to how it moves. And then, of course, it did really well. My NVIDIA did super well, sold that. And then uh, as I was moving back into the sector, I started doing my research and I contact all these people who'd been like, yo, check out XRP and Ripple's uh, evaluation or check out Bitcoin or whatever they were telling me about at the time. I would reach back out to them after a few months of learning and I realized I was teaching them more than they had been teaching me in the time they were trying to put me onto it. So one of the biggest things that blows my mind and that's wrong with the sector is people are throwing money at it, but they don't actually know what they're investing in. (laughs) 
Yes. And if you do that, then you're basically you're you're better off just keeping your money under a mattress, even though it will devaluate. Because if you're not looking into who made the coin, what's the company about, who is the person in the company who created it, do they have the ability and mindset to navigate and switch lanes when you know new things get moved in, like as the hard fork is going to happen this month for Ethereum? You have to consider all these things because I don't know, you wouldn't. You wouldn't buy a house without checking out like the bones of the house, you know. Like yeah. you wouldn't drive a buy a car without driving it first. You shouldn't invest in coins without learning what they are first. Side note: Are you do you have like a, a cord or are you moving on a desk or something? Just like some noise, like a creaky, yeah. Sorry, I have yeah. uh, a headset that's uh, wireless, and I'm I was just standing up and stretching, so it probably okay, makes some noise. Sorry. No, you're good. I'll just get in like a meditative state. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, diversify, do your research, and again, do more research. <laughs> and then cross your fingers because at the end of the day, there's still a lot of unknown. There's a, yeah, there's I a mean, lot of the, unknown. the thing is, though, like the, the core foundation, $6 trillion just got printed this year to help out with like everything that happened with like the pandemic, like our spending power with like fiat money is depleting. Like I get that most people who are like, you know, in retiring or in their 50s, 60s or whatever, look at crypto as a giant Ponzi scheme, but their grandparents looked at the stock market like it was the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. I just, there's there's too many signs of young finance moving in that direction where it's like, sure, maybe today it's not as certain, but five, 10, 15, 20 years, I you know, agree. like kids who are being born today who will be like of the legal drinking age from now who can tell what their opinion is going to be on how money should move yeah. around the world. I so, there's, yeah, I agree. That's a good way to put it. There's two, like you never quite know, but there's too many arrows that all seem to be pointing in the general, like the same general direction. I mean, this is the same being, speaking of the human race, this is the same group of people who said the internet was a trend, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like humanity is notoriously sat on the fence for anything when it comes to anything that can change a sector. It happened with the industrial revolution, happened with the internet, happened with social media, Twitch. Twitch is a prime example. Yeah. I still think Twitch is bullshit, but the market proves me otherwise. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I think there's great aspects to Twitch, but I also think it's a it's a nightmare. But the fact remains so like you have an entire generation of people who are like who wants to watch other people play video games when it's like their entire generation watches sports yes and they can't connect the two so who's to say on something that's that simple that when it comes to financial freedom <laughs> they wouldn't be able to connect the dots on something as extreme as that yeah so yeah there's 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 way more positivity there than people give it credit for it's just hard to see it when the market loses a trillion dollars in less than 30 days yeah very good point what you said you were born in pittsburgh right yeah so i grew up in pittsburgh i lived there pretty much my whole life what yeah. year were you born 1990 so 1990. i oh, you're younger younger july, july 5th 1990 is my birthday so i'll be 31 on monday i share a birthday with uh the rizza the creator of the wu-tang clan oh yeah there you go <laughs> there you go i've never actually looked into if i share a birthday with anyone cool i should look that up you should absolutely look it up i have rizza royce to five nine uh two nobel prize winners for science and some like famous wrestler guy from the 80s <laughs> <laughs> were you uh did you play games at all growing up my whole life okay good my so, my my whole life yeah was your first 1990 us was your first console super nintendo yeah nice Woo! one yeah, yeah nice so 
let's see. At the time, I, I, I couldn't even tell you how old I was when I got the Nintendo. That's how long ago this is. I remember it was a Christmas. But before that, uh, my neighbor who lived literally next door, she was in high school and she was uh, my babysitter at the time. And every time she would watch uh, watch me, she'd bring over the Super Nintendo and she'd let me game on uh, the old Super Mario World, the side-scroller. We'd, we'd co-op on the Donkey Kong uh, Country game where you and Diddy Kong, you know, explored the different worlds. Um, she even had like this really fun, weird, old Michael Jackson thriller video game. That they oh, had I know exactly Nintendo. what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So... I remember just being so excited every time my parents were like, we're going out because I was like, awesome, I'm going to get to play Nintendo. <laughs> and then Christmas came around and they were just like, what do you want? And like, that was it. There was no like, I want this toy or that toy. It was just, I want a Nintendo. That's all I want. That was really like the beginning of my life. So you would have, I'm trying to, if you were playing Donkey Kong, that's like towards the end of the Super Nintendo's lifespan. And so you're saying you played at like a, you got one for yourself for christmas yeah my folks were really nice and saw that like i absolutely loved it and they got that the super mario donkey kong and oh, yeah. uh this old truck racing game that uh rc I I, pro-am i think uh, I, I don't think it was our i'm trying to think of what the, the game was it was basically like rally dirt trucks and rally racing snes the king of rally let me let me look it up real quick. rock and roll racing Okay. Yeah, I did this. I've never even heard. I've heard of rock and roll racing. I've never heard of the King of Rally. Dirt racing cool. SNES games. I guess there's a game actually called Dirt Racer. Yeah, Dirt Tracks. I didn't even know this was a game either. It's like, oh, this looks dope. There's like a semi 3D, almost like Star Fox graphics. So this is. I'm glad I brought this up. So Super Mario Kart was a big one. I can't believe I almost forgot about that one. Um, that was a big one. The SNES. Um, God, I wish I was at my dad's house. I could just like. I still have the SNES set up at his place. Um, I would just go and go through my games. But yeah, that's that's kind of a collection of what I was playing. I had one of the Top Gear games at the time. I just absolutely was in love with games from the day first day that I played. What what do you remember? Was it Mario Brothers, like the very first one? And it was like an instantly that game, second one, like I'm I'm into it. Yeah. So it was let me make sure I get this right because this is important. Very, very important. Yeah. So it wasn't Yoshi's Island. It was I believe Super Mario World 2. Yeah. Super Mario World 2. And it was there was something about it with the music. Of course, I didn't know this at the time. I, I understand it now that I've studied music for so long, but the nostalgic and soundtracks that Nintendo was pushing out back in the day is still, you know, could compete with anything from today anything. in regards to pulling yes. you into experiencing something. That and the questing, I just thought was the coolest thing ever. Because at that age, your world exists within your parents' reality. So like if your parents go shopping and they bring you, you now get to go on that adventure with them to that store. But, you know, I can't leave the house. I can't, like other than hanging out with my friends and stuff like that, I can't like get in a car and go somewhere. Uber and Lyft didn't exist at the time. The Nintendo games, specifically like Donkey Kong, Mario, those were games that said, hey, you're going to drop into this world and explore everything. You're going to swim in the oceans, go to the ice caves, go to the jungles. And it was such a cool way to say, like, you get to go create an adventure for yourself and you don't even have to leave your house to do it. And the, and the, and the music stood out to you pretty. Did you immediately start getting into making music at a young age or did that come later? That came way later. Gaming's, okay. gaming's been with me forever. Music has been more of like... Um, 
a long-term relationship that I'm trying to, uh, <laughs> you know, manage to the best of my abilities. But gaming's consistently been a 10 my entire life. What else What else do you remember from the Super Nintendo? Anything that stands out? Um, well, I'll tell you. It's So Nintendo was kind of one of those systems that let me know that, like, I love gaming. N64 was the one that really, like, locked me in, where I remember just, like, saving up every dollar I had so I could get new games, as opposed to, you know, where super nintendo was kind of like my parents got me a couple and then yes the neighbor would let me borrow a cartridge from time to time to play it n64 was when i remember being like this is what i want to do i remember being able to go over to friends houses and teach them how to like beat the games or help them get past levels because i'd put so much time in and then playstation one so n64 and playstation one is when i really began like the true relationship with it uh super nintendo was just kind of like the necessary introduction Nice. Well, if we start talking about PlayStation One, we'll, we'll never come back because really that, that's the golden era. So we'll save that. What's uh anything that sticks out on the sixty four? I've been emulating a bunch of. I don't know if you uh, do you have a PC by chance? Yeah, yeah. I actually have a PlayStation Two emulator set up right now. Nice. I've been running a lot of uh, Need for Speed Underground and stuff on my days off. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like tweaking around. I've like been I've been down the super nerd rabbit hole this last two weeks. I uh, modded the. Final Fantasy VIII, the PS1 PC re-release with a bunch of community mods. Took me like two days to get it all running. You get it like 4K, all these replacement textures, AI upscaling backgrounds, AI upscale textures. It's like really fun to dive into these old games and kind of like repolish them and play with them. And I think yeah, so you're just basically nitrous oxiding the whole thing. Yeah, making it run faster, cleaner, smoother. Yes, everything probably looks better. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That'd be really interesting to see it from like the original state to where you're getting taking it to. Yeah, I find that like uh, the difference is pretty fun. I've been doing some like comparison videos and people seem to like it. It's like it's a fun rabbit hole the way to like revisit. And it's for me, it's the reason I bring that up. It's almost like, almost exclusively PS1 games that I've been messing with and trying to see what we can do. Did you have any luck with Twisted Metal? No, I haven't played with Twisted Metal. Twisted no. Metal 2 is like my all time favorite. Yeah, Twisted Metal 2, the game. dude with the wheels. I was always the guy with the arms and the wheels, the small Axel. fast guy. Yeah, hell yeah. Axel was dope. I always played Roadkill. I like the guy with the bike and the uh, that crazy uh, ultimate like nuke that he would shoot out from his sidecar. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, there's some, definitely some limitations. There's a really good em- emulator for PlayStation One called Beetle. It's part of the RetroArch like suite of emulators. Okay. And uh, it has this thing. We're going deep into the weeds, but uh, whatever. It has this thing <laughs> called <laughs> it has this thing called PGXP. It stands for, I don't know what this means, but I know what it stands for, Precision precision Geometry Transform Pipeline. Somehow that means it f- almost completely fixes all the texture warbling that would occur on PS1. You know how textures would like shake and shimmer and bend? Well, like if you look at like the LA map, which is the first one in... Uh, Twisted Metal? Yeah, thank you. If you looked out at the city from where you're fighting, because you could look off at the distance and see the LA skyline, it would almost look like you're looking out in the desert, how much it was yes. like bending. Yeah. Yeah. So it, uh, and it will like uh, sometimes there there would be lots of texture seams seams. Excuse me, that wouldn't line up. Yeah. It attempts to fix all of that in real time. I don't know how it like the real G's are the people who make this shit. I don't know how they do it. They're wizards. But uh, you get your hands on it and then you start playing all these old games. I should try Twisted Metal. I've been recording like all the cutscenes from Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. With, with, with all yeah. of these like because you can also run it like at 24x resolution so it's like internally it's like 8k and then you're rendering it at 4k and then you're adding all this anti-aliasing just trying to get like get it to like what's possible and then um i should try 
Twisted Metal, that would be a good one. Twisted Metal 2 was really good, too. Like, Calypso's character really came in to the storyline at that point, in my opinion. Um, like, the first one's great, but the second one really has a beautiful arc where, like, you travel the world, you really understand the aspect of full world destruction, and then the last map being in Tokyo or Hong Kong where you fight uh, Sweet Tooth or Dark Tooth. Like, there was such an arc to that game. Yes. It's, it's hard not to go back and want to play that. Uh, multiple times in a lifetime and for those who have played it and haven't played it i believe twist metal 2 i think it was in all of them but i remember in twist metal 2 where when you get your wish it's always it always comes with like a condition that turns dark and so that makes you want to replay through all the characters and just sort of see what happens well the funny thing about that i remember seeing that as a kid because the two dudes in the truck said they wanted to fly they try and go and fly or something like that and spoiler they can't obviously but i remember seeing that as a kid and the clips of laughing and just being like oh be careful it's like one of those like be careful what you wish for is the first time i can actually remember that saying like applying to something yeah Yeah. it was it was definitely like the i i would agree the first time i came across that concept because the next time i remember was the movie bedazzled with uh what's her face she's hot as hell elizabeth hurley and brendan fraser where she's the devil yeah, yeah, I remember. And every, that. every time he wishes for something, it comes with some sort of twist that like actually screws him over. Yeah. For, and Twisted Metal Two, it was I played, I beat the with the, I beat the game with the cop first. I forget his outlaw, name. outlaw, outlaw. And yeah. uh, he's, I, he's, you can tell I played the game a lot. You definitely, yeah, way more. <laughs> but the, so the for those those who haven't played, most people know it's a game where like cars blow each other up. It's a tournament sort of thing. At the end Basically, of the game, the world yeah, falling you, you apart. Do it. Basically, the world's fallen apart and a few select drivers have been selected for this tournament that will take place in all these uh, areas. Some of the world's already destroyed. The rest of it will be destroyed through the tournament. It's very similar in regards to what Mortal Kombat was about in regards to the fight coming to Earth realm and then Earth realm slowly being taken over by uh, Outer World. But instead of there being some like outsourced out of uh, planet sense of thing that's creating this destruction. It's all people in their cars doing it. And then the whole thing's orchestrated by this madman named Calypso who flies in a blimp over the planet watching uh, the chaos ensue. And when you beat the game, he grants you a wish. That's your prize. As anything, your prize. They, anything you can dream of is yours. And Outlaw wishes for a world of peace and something like peace and no crime, something along those lines, like utopia. What happened? What was the catch with Outlaw? He gets sent to space to be alone. No way. That's where the taste is. That's awesome. Fucked me up as a kid. I was because I kind of knew Calypso the way his his character design, the colors. Like you know, Outlaw Outlaw didn't say she wants Earth to be a peaceful place without war. She said she wants to live in a place. Yes. (laughs) And so she got sent to the void, and it like it just ends with her car floating in space, and then credits. I I just what. Yeah, it messed with me. It was a great yeah. game. Great game. Absolutely. The, that's one thing that really stands out from back then till now. So now performance of games are unbelievable. What you experience visually, what characters and AI are able to do in game. I mean, it floors me still to this day. However, back in the day with 8-bit and things like that, they didn't have as much uh, to go with. Like if he had pants, it was just his bottom half was shaded blue, his top was shaded red. And there's like two buttons on his chest to represent yeah. suspenders. So storyline and things of that nature, like little Easter eggs and 
uh, incentives to keep playing the game were a massive foundation of what made those games so good. Because, of course, at the time, the gameplay was great compared to Atari, but uh, it was the stories, I think, that really solidified people wanting to go back and play the games again and again, like you said. Definitely, for the most part, uh, during this era, I was... I've always been a single player gamer, though you said you were playing Escape from Tarkov in our message thread. Yeah, I'm absolutely addicted and love Escape from that, Tarkov. That, for those who don't know and those who do know, from what I understand, is the most brutal. It's, like one, it's, it's hailed as one of the most brutally difficult, insane games ever. So uh, if, you, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll, I gladly can share my insight on Tarkov. Yes, do it. So the game originated from a company in Russia who were developing a game called Stalker at the time. Half of the company left and went off to create Battlestate Games, which is now the company that owns Tarkov. Stalker is something that's relevant because uh, Microsoft recently bought the rights to Stalker and they're releasing Stalker 2 this year, which was a big thing at E3. But Stalker 2 is from an origin game called Stalker, which was like one of the first like cool old school hardcore shooter games that came out like after Doom and Duke Nukem and stuff like that in the early 2000s. Um, so Tarkov on its inception was a fucking nightmare. Uh, the game was full of bugs. They weren't Battlestate didn't have a ton of funding. So basically the only people who played the game were uh, military people because they loved the gun customization uh the recoil patterns and just like the hardcore aspect of it as opposed to like the call of duties that were yeah. you know the big game at the time because call of duty of course uh you're just dumping mags uh recoil is easy to control if you have a controller there's like a snap to target feature so tarkov was kind of like hey if you like anything within the shooter realm and you know how firearms actually work that's this is the game to play so that's where it began then twitch kind of kept going uh and then as battle royales came out and people got burned out on battle royale for me it was PUBG. played you know a couple thousand hours on there needed something (laughs) new my buddies kept being like dude you should check out tarkov got on tarkov nobody wanted to play it with me even though they all told me i should play it um, so I basically learned how to play Tarkov through hanging out on Twitch and solo running. Did that for like three years, and then uh, Twitch drops came out for the game, and the game fucking exploded and became one of the most popular games on Twitch. And then that was about a year ago, and now Tarkov is like one of the most successful like independent shooter games of all time. But yeah. I've been dedicated to it, for, I'd say, for at least three to four years or something like that beta testing the hell out of it, sending in notes. It's, to me, it's the next logical evolution in a shooter game uh, for people who went from, like, say, GoldenEye to whatever was after GoldenEye, which would eventually become Call of Duty and Battlefield, which eventually led to PUBG and Fortnite, which to me eventually will lead to Tarkov or some offspring of Tarkov. So it seems like Tarkov creatively went for hyper-realism compared to Compared to Call of Duty, it sounds this, like. This, the statement from the owner is, he's like, if you aren't hating the game at some point, uh, you're not playing Tarkov the right way. His goal is to gen- actually frustrate people playing the game because of how difficult it can be and how unforgiving the experience is. However, with that, because of how intense it is, when you actually win, the payoff's like a million times what it would be from any other like, yes. normal uh, win yeah. in another game. That's the weird Catch-22. You know, you have you have a there's almost like two paths you can take. You can make it like a nice casual experience that people can come in, enjoy and then leave and and really forget about. 
and then you just keep doing that over and over again. Or I like the boom in difficulty for me, like the resurgence or the resonance of like people really enjoying difficulty was Dark Souls. That's the yeah. first time where I was like, okay, like this is cool. I've been like getting burned out of what, what had been happening with games, and then Dark Souls just took me took me over. It sounds like similar to Escape from Tarkov. Like if I put like two to three years of like everything was Dark Souls or Dark Souls like games. That's all. Dark that Souls is the best analogy anybody could have for comparing like the intensity and the unforgivable uh, brutality of AI versus a player. Uh, comparing it to Tarkov. It's perfect. When you play Tarkov, so you're you're playing AI, not other players? No, you're playing both. You're okay. playing both. But I've watched plenty of Dark Souls footage and like hung out with my buddies while they've been playing it. And the AI has a mind of its own in Dark Souls. So does it in Tarkov. There are loopholes and there are easy things that you can kind of learn how to like You can learn them. how to cheese things, yeah. Totally. But it's the funny thing is, is like even when you think you have the cheese down, it's like you have yes. to do it step one by two by two by three by four by five and if you don't follow a specific order in doing that you pay the consequence for it every time so yes. like the meditative discipline that's required to beat a game like that or dark souls is beyond anything else that i've ever played yeah the first time i played dark souls there's this like really early in the game there's this bridge in the undead berg that uh there's this regular skeleton just by the end of the game one of the most common quote easy enemies but at the beginning, he's a mess. At the beginning, he's the mess. And the way they designed this like bridge and how you walk through, even later in the game, like if you're just if you're just a little too lazy, you can end up dying there. Like, yeah, because like you you might have gone through it a hundred times and ninety nine times, like you just kill a skeleton, no problem. And then like every once in a while, you'll just be like phoning phoning it in, and you'll mess up, and then you'll die. It's just like that. It's like you can never really, even if you're good and you're overpowered. Like you can never totally relax. No, I mean, in Tarkov, they have scavs, which are the AI that you go against. But since I've been playing the game, they developed a thing called Raiders, which are basically juiced up steroided scavs, better guns, better armor. Their hit ability for shots is 100% more accurate than scavs are. And those guys, like at first when you fight them, they're a nightmare to deal with towards the end of a patch or a wipe because they uh, consistently wipe the game and make you start your accounts all over as a community as they roll out new maps and more guns and whatnot at the end raiders aren't really that hard of a thing to deal with however though if you're not still on your toes a raider can still easily tap you just because now you have better optics and better ammunition and it's easier for you to take them down they're still just as accurate as they've always been yeah <laughs> their yeah. armor's just as good as it's always been and their awareness is as good as it's always been it's it's cool because it's one of those things where a lot of games you kind of learn how to cheese something and then once you figure that out, like you can just pretty much cheese it forever. These newer games with the new AI that kind of have like a system in mind of their own, it blows my mind. So let me give you a quick example that I think you'll really appreciate. So play uh, scabs, like I said, are like the basic AI scavengers without throughout the game. Now what Nikita, who's the creator of the game, his team have done is every patch comes out, they sit and watch how players play the game and then uh. they take that and they adapt it into the scav movement. So like eight seasons ago or whatever, a scav was the most obvious thing that you could sense in a game. And then players can also go in as a scavenger every once in a while. So they can kind of loot uh, without having to bring their own stuff in and anything they get out, they get to keep for the main player's account. Back in the day, it was very easy to see that's a player scab or that's AI. Then they started rolling it out where uh, scabs could have like another gun on their back 
where that used to be like a sign that that was a player scav because he's obviously looting picking stuff up then they rolled it out where scavs now go up to the bodies and look like they're actually looting them which they're not (laughs) but that used to be like a sign that that's a player looting but yeah now the ai looks like it's doing it as well then the whole community started doing this wiggle thing where they would use their Q&E to wiggle at one another to try and signify friendship. And so Nikita put that in the game. So now all the <laughs> AI walks around in the game doing wiggle moves. So you never know if it's like a player <laughs> that's wiggling at you. That's really, that's really interesting. I wonder yeah. what they could do with machine learning too. So logically, what I think would be really interesting, because of course, I just sit there for hours and think about that stuff. I think it'd be really interesting to get to a point where scavs go rogue. So they have AI that just randomly discerns like what it wants to do to kill somebody. And as much as of just like a roll of a dice, like number generator in their mind. But I would love them to get to a point where AI starts murdering other AI. And then you try and get in those fights. But really, it's just a way for them to shake things up because the way the game works is as a scav you walk around and other scavs won't kill you so when you're a scav and you don't murder other ai the ai will leave you alone but if you one ai to take his stuff the rest of the ai on the map will now be triggered to follow you and try and kill you so it'd be really interesting if they got to a point where <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm i'm completely rambling about the game it'd be really interesting if they got to a point where an ai would kill another ai to bait you to kill that ai thinking that it's a player scab but yeah. really it's just another ai and next thing you know you're like cool and i've got all these scabs after me because the computer just killed this one <laughs> it probably will it sounds like um i didn't i didn't understand that a lot about the game i have seen people play it i've actually hopped in and i think probably seen you and christian play it because i christian's where i first yeah and i put i put i put christian onto the game i I, it's it's like the number one game i recommend anybody who plays shooters on pc yeah yeah it's uh it just looks intense basically the idea is uh tarkov is as a, a city or country or whatever to uh destruction and uh war and so you have three factions you have uh, the United States private military corporation, uh, some form of like Spetsnaz, Russian military, and then scavengers. And the three groups move and navigate throughout the cities, collecting loot, completing quests, and the gear that they take out of the game, they get to sell on the black markets. And then they can buy items on the black markets to upgrade their characters and then uh, bring in different weapons. You know, if you're a sniper, you can put all your money into like a, uh, marksman rifles sniper rifles ammunition but you lose it all permanently if you get killed right but if you die with that gear on in game you can lose it all yeah so it's one of those things where for example right now is wipes so what i'm doing for the next few days is i kind of walk through the world get a bunch of little items collect scavenge i'm basically a scavenger right now and get my quest going and then by a month from now two months three months you know i'll have so much money i'll have so much inventory that i can just go see a trader buy what i want go into a game and get into some really cool pvp with other people who have a ton of gear as well but then you got to do all that like you get killed it all gets stolen well only what's on your person you have a hideout base that can have like you know hundreds of rifles thousands of rounds of ammunition magazines armors headsets night vision goggles thermal uh optics um well, the part of the interesting thing of the game is every weapon piece that's in that game is based off of a real life part that's sold online and in our actual world. So you kind of learn a million things about the way guns work and, you know, different parts, different ammunition types, different grains of ammunition, velocity of different bullets. And then that all ties in 
with uh, scavenging, giving it some like of uh, role playing MMORPG feel of like walking around a world, looting things, and then uh, the final icing on the top is uh, firefights and really good PvP. What's the average time split between scavenging all that work and then having the PvP? pvp fights it depends on the player my case i like to just kind of go in and play conservatively at the start with my actual player account and that way i can get more experience the more experience i get the better levels i get with my trader the better levels with my trader the more gun options i have so i'll just i'll go in and run some almost like socom navy seal stuff you know moving slowly getting a few kills here and there grabbing gear getting out and then slowly building up my character there's other people who will just run scabs all the time because there's very little uh, risk. The problem with that, though, is if you encounter someone like me who actually knows how to play the game, understands the mechanics, the levels, and the difference of ammunition, nine out of ten times I'll probably beat somebody who's running like that because I have better gear, uh, better map awareness. I take more fights, you know, because I'm not just looting all the time. Yeah. So the game kind of challenges you to see what type of player you want to be. And in my case, it's what it's always been with shooters. I like <laughs> being a marksman or a sniper. So I just play the game like a sniper. <laughs> what's uh what's the first shooter FPS that you got into that you can remember? Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Yeah, I mean I think that was really the first one for everybody in regards to PvP. Um before that I played Dark Forces. It was a DOS. Yes. It's a Star Wars uh, yeah. Star Wars game. It's awesome. I love that game. Yeah. Yeah, and and before that like the first thing I played that had the same engine was a game called Chex Quest. Chex Quest. You are the only person ever on this podcast <laughs> to bring up Chex Quest. Fair play. <laughs> I got my dad got a copy of it when he bought like a thing of cereal for me. And he was like, hey, go check this out, see what it's about. And that was my introduction to like the Duke Nukem uh, engine. <laughs> yeah. Chex Quest, for those who don't know, most people will probably know it was basically a free game that came with your cereal that was actually pretty cool. As a kid, I remember being like, what? Like, this is pretty badass. Yeah. So the basic concept was you were walking around the world and you encountered cavity, green cavity things or something like that. It was was tied in with sugar, basically. And it worked off the Duke Nukem engine and just found different devices and things to take down these cavity things. And the game wasn't super long, but for a free game, man, it kicked a lot of ass. (laughs) It just at the time, I I was very blown away by those early Return to Castle, uh, Wolfenstein 3D, Doom, all those early 3D games that were using like 2D sprites as their main assets, but were these crude 3D environments like then this. There's probably hundreds of games that came out during like that five year, six year period. No, it's like the battle royales now. There's yeah. tons we'll never play. That and just, they're awesome. A lot yeah. of them are awesome. But yeah, they just through the one. cracks. Yeah. What was the first 3D like full? I mean, I guess that was Goldeneye. You said that. That's true. I'm trying to think. I do remember playing. Maybe Siphon Filter was more 3D. Well, that's a that's a third person shooter on PS1. True. Yeah. True. true, true. Which is not aged well. I, that's a game I actually, I remember thinking as a kid had awesome graphics. The best. Yeah. And I was like, I booted it. I booted Siphon Filter 2 up. I got all the tweaks. I was running it in like 8K. And I'm like, this game is terrible. Mm-hmm. It just like some games scale well. And some games like you need that low res. You need it to be like not clear because it doesn't look good when it is clear. It's too bad because I like that game. It had a t- no, the concept was great and the world was really what was so cool about it yes. like moving into cafes fighting back out on the street like yeah. they had a really 
great formula for the game. It just, like you said, didn't age well. I think there was there was a Medal of Honor on PS1, I think, like the first Medal of Honor. I didn't play that. The first Medal of Honor I got into was Frontline. Which one is Frontline? Frontline starts off with the invasion of Normandy with that classic scene that's taken like right out of oh from Saving Private Ryan. Private Ryan, yes. I have seen yeah. this. I did play this one too. This is PS2, I believe, right? I played that one on GameCube. Yeah. Uh, and GameCube and Xbox. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I played this one all the way through. Is it good? It was it was pretty cool, man, because basically you were just going through the invasion of Europe. I'm a huge fan of the Band of Brothers series. And it just like it all ties in with that. Like I played Frontline before I saw Band of Brothers, but but when I watched Band of Brothers, I was like, oh, awesome! I'm just like re-experiencing some aspects of what I got in Frontline. My favorite part of Frontline, though, was just specific maps and missions. There were some really interesting towns in France and Germany where the firefights were really intense, and then they had some really cool cutscenes where like you had to go rogue as like uh, undercover uh, German. Uh, spy or whatever like as a spy for the americans so you'd be going into like nazi bars and uh setting things up in the bar to have one nazi fight the other nazi and it's just it was like little things like that that i was like oh this game's great i probably played it through at least like five times when i had the gamecube oh so like you you really like that game yeah well the shooting was the best part it had a really clean shooting system and the sniping was fantastic but it's it, those like to go back to your point. It's those little cutscenes that really kept me there <laughs> to yeah. see him again. Yeah. On PS One, what uh, what game stand out to you the most? Uh, Twisted Metal is always number one. Siphon Filter for its time was pretty cool. NFL Blitz came out then. We had a lot of yes. fun playing Blitz, Blitz back in the day. Let's see. We played a lot of the old wrestling games back then because those were just great couch co-op games that you could just play all day with your friends. Uh, Spyro trying to think i mean metal gear of course falls into play even though i didn't really dive into the series and still playstation 2 yeah and then aside from that it was just kind of like whatever i could we could get our hands on playstation wise tekken tekken and mortal kombat those those would be the final two that i tie off with those yeah what was the first shooter that was like because it sounds like you were into games pretty early but what was the first shooter that you started going like i'm into shooters goldeneye probably for the campaign like I remember watch, walking through the Siberia level with uh, like before you go into the bunker Yep. and just walking around with the scope and going to the little shacks and like that challenge of dealing with that. I also really liked the Mission Impossible game they put out for uh, N64. I don't know if you ever Ooh, played that. Let me look that up. I think I have some couple still shots of memory. Mission Impossible N64. I feel like I did play this. It was great. I mean, the game does not hold up today and even back then there were all sorts of bugs in it (laughs) there was just something neat about it where like there was so much custom ability that you could do because it was one of those games where it was an open world map so i could approach the attack any way i wanted Mm. so goldeneye even though like they had siberia a lot of the map was very linear true it was just kind of like open this door shoot this guy grab this item go to the next room which was great mission possible was like you have four objectives on this map and you can approach them any way you want which would go on to be like what i love about hitman for example um but mission possible was the first game to show me that style of like i can approach these attacks from any way i want and the next time i play it i can take a completely different route of how to do that like I could poison somebody's drink or I could sabotage an item or I could lure somebody waiting for them to go to a bathroom, knock them out, steal their identity. All, like I said, all things that, you know, uh, Hitman and Square Inks would 
solidify as a game style, but that was the first time I experienced something like that on a... That's a good point. I I wouldn't have ever thought about this game, and I had no idea that it would be... It's like that same style. I'm trying to think of other games that had that sort of open-end replayability prior to this, because this came There's not out. a lot. I can't yeah. think of one. No. Maybe this is the OG, dude. This might be the OG. You could still walk around like the worlds of the Bond thing. There just wasn't a lot to do. You know what I'm saying? Like in yeah. that game, there was always like different quadrants and different things to experience. Like I loved in Hitman, for example, you could like climb up like on a windowsill and uh, somebody would be playing music and you get to listen to like Beethoven or Bach in the game. And I remember when I was a kid, I used to uh, climb up on this favela uh, drug den area and just post my character prone on the roof and then just turn up the volume because this guy would routinely walk in and out of the room and play. Uh, classical music on the piano and i would just have that playing through my room while i was cleaning it or studying because yeah, this, this is pre-internet and pre-spotify you can't just cue it up no pretty much i mean yeah. like maybe you could turn it but i i didn't know what the song was called so i was like this is great i was like i can just listen to these really clean well-produced classical music records through my tv and that's i, I love that side of gaming where you kind of make your experience it's not just yeah. a linear, like linear progression is cool like in max Payne or something like that but I really love being able to say, like, I can go sit in a bush for 20 minutes if I have to and just, like, take in, like, this beautiful world. Kind of like you would have in, like, an Assassin's Creed game or something yeah. like that as well. Yeah. I definitely have uh, spent some time being addicted to open world games. Like, that formula, even though it's it still gets me, even though it's been used a lot now. So, I get stoked. Elder, Elder Scrolls, yes or no? Not not into Skyrim or Elder Scrolls, unfortunately. Okay, okay, cool. That's that's good to know. I uh, what about what would be like an open world game for you that like if somebody were to ask you like I am like, the closest thing the that I've played you. that is a game style that you you like like Hitman mm-hmm. would be Metal Gear. I think it's five Phantom Pain yeah. or six whatever whatever one is Phantom Pain. It's very open ended. Like there's a thousand ways to do every mission in that game. Yeah. Um, and it's open world. Like you just kind of pick where you want to go and you show up and I'm going to go from this angle and I'm going to use stealth this time. Next time I'm going to drop airdrop in a bunch of sheep with C4 strapped to them or whatever <laughs> idea. Yeah, the replay value is just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. That game. I got into that, but like the traditional open world games, like recent ones was Ghost of Tsushima on PS4. I haven't played it. Is it is it worth a playthrough? Hundred percent. But okay. they just they just announced the director's cut, so just wait for the director's cut because you get cool. all the DLC and a bunch of extra shit. I think it's coming out this year. It was like announced like a week ago. Really good game. Things I like about it as far as open world games go: no map, no mini map, like no HUD. Everything is like, or the HUD is extremely minimal and everything you infer from like the game and it, it works really well. Like you push a button and like the wind will blow and that, that, that gives you a hint. Like if you have a marker placed on your map of wh- how to get to your, come to your on, point. that's it's, cool. It's freaking cool. And like, there's like, there's no HUD when you're driving around. And then when you're fighting, it's like this very minimal HUD, like three dots shows Stanima, it's like almost nothing. It just only shows you what you need to know. And I, I found that to be really refreshing because when I, comparison to maybe Grand Theft Auto or Horizon, oh, yeah. most of the time I'm looking in the bottom right corner watching this Always. tiny little map. Always. And yeah. It's like, why do I have this badass PC and this awesome video card to look at the stupid mini map? Yeah. Ghost of Tsushima, like, I think they, they addressed it. 
And they also streamlined the entire open world formula where it's, there's nothing new or groundbreaking, but they took out all the tediousness and they just refined the formula. Kind of like what Last of Us Naughty Dog did with the Resident Evil format. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree it's a good comparison. Did you play Last of Us 2? Bro, that it, Last of Us is a religion in our house. Like. Okay, well, I'm glad to ask you. Uh, <laughs> Last of Us 2 is very divisive. And if if you, I'm going to ask you, did you like it or no? And if you get the answer wrong, we're going to have to end this conversation. Right no, it's now. not a problem. I fucking loved it even more than the first one. In some Thank ways. you. Yeah. I knew it. I knew I could count on you to have the yeah. correct opinion. I mean here's here's the thing the first one was unfucking believable dude i remember we got my, all my friends got it and we were playing it and then we were like hopping on phone calls like at two in the morning each night to talk like, about we, it yeah because yeah, we just we couldn't believe how emotionally compelling it was to me the last of us the first last of us game i loved that the way other people love the walking dead like the way yeah. people watch like the walking dead and i'm not saying i don't like the walking dead but like are emotionally like attached to those characters on the walking dead i watched the whole thing through and in my mind i'm like oh it's a zombie apocalypse i don't expect any of these people to survive not when it comes to ellie though when it comes to ellie all i'm doing is sitting on the edge of my seat like oh my god she has to survive she has to fucking survive yes <laughs> i don't care that there's clickers and infected and crazy uh tribesmen out like that game just it brought me closer to gaming on an emotional level from a storyline than i'd ever experienced pretty much with any other game before their their ability to i mean the whole package for both of those games the whole package is like they set a bar i mean when that the last of us first came out it was pretty obvious like there's a new a new bar has been set yeah it's just it it just is what it is so I can tell you what I think makes what makes two so good, though, without giving anything away. Cause oh, we're going to this game's out. We can talk spoilers. OK, because there's people. plenty of people who still haven't played it, which blows my fucking mind when I speak with them. But what I thought was so genius about number two is uh, my girlfriend loves Last of Us. Like she plays that game more than I do. That's how much she loves that experience. And that got her to play like Biohazard when the Resident Evil gameplay came out and we're about to pick up Village. Uh, sometime this summer and play through that but anyways i digress what i loved about the game is i'm experiencing it from my perspective and then i'm getting to watch how she's experiencing the game and yes. when we were playing too she couldn't fucking stand the big abby chabby neither yeah. could my wife so my wife doesn't play but she watched me play the first one yeah and she was legitimately stoked to watch me play the second one and uh she was not a she she actually quit like halfway through, she's just like it. She didn't like where it was going. She didn't like. So she didn't like it. Nat's sitting there yelling at the TV, just like "fuck her, fuck her crew," and this, that, and the other. And like, I'm kind of there with her, but I'm like, "Come on, like we gotta wait. Like this could be building to something great." And then that scene happens where they show you Abby in like the city they built in that stadium. Yes, and you see the scale of this community that like she's been a part of compared to like what Joe and Ellie were doing before yes. they got to Colorado, and you're just like, holy shit, dude! Like I'm really like this could have been the first game if they wanted to, like Abby could have been our actual character. And anyways, what was great is my girlfriend's yelling at the TV the whole time, and but then that final beach scene comes up, and she's like, no, I don't want either of them to die. Like, yes. That's, like, that's you, we're, yeah, we are a hundred percent on the same page. I sort of I connected with Abby pretty quick because I also uh, had read some pre-release stuff about up before Last of Us Two was officially announced, and I think his name's Neil Druckmann. 
Drek. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He's the, the dude who got the deal with HBO and they're doing yes. the series, right? Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about like it took them a long time to just like they weren't going to make a second one because they couldn't come up with a story that they wanted to tell. That would be as like equally compelling and pushing the envelope. And as soon as it switched and I started controlling Abby, Abby I knew I'm like, these motherfuckers are going to make me like her too. That's what they're going to do to me. That's Dude, what they did. They're going to they show did, it. Though. Well, the funny thing is, and I didn't even realize this until as we're talking about it right now, but Abby pretty much is like a mirrored futuristic shadow of who Ellie could be. Yes, there's this there's this like dichotomy where Abby is almost like trying to redeem herself from killing Joel over the course of the game. She's she's still yeah, which she's, that whole scene is fucking that scene was gnarly brutal like she she he has these comments people ask her about it it's not like directly hammered down your throat but she's dealing with the fallout emotionally of doing that well and being- that's that's the problem too though with me with people saying like they don't like abby because to go with your point like that's exactly what she's doing with the redemption but like the first game is so innocent in some ways even though it's a shooter and it's violent like it's from ellie's perspective it's from joel as like a surrogate father perspective and it's very like like cute and like ellie falls and then she gets up and brushes herself off but like that last scene within the hospital is like one of the craziest shootouts ever. Yes. Like I remember just going through the first time and just flamethrowering guards and rooms. And in my mind, I'm like, of course I'm doing this. I'm trying to rescue Ellie. So I think a lot of people lose sight of the fact that like, that's why Abby's there in the first place. Like if Joel didn't do that in the hospital, Abby's yes. never even introduced into the series. So yeah, yeah, they did a good, they like what they did a good job of showing this. Like, no one's really a good or a bad guy. Everyone's, you you can understand everyone's motivations. They just all have their own motivations. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And they and so that's the part that like I knew they were going to be able to do that. I didn't know necessarily how or why, but I'm like, oh, what they're going to do? They're going to somehow make me understand why Abby just killed someone I love, and then I'm going to learn. I'm going to forgive her over as a player over the course of the game, and at the same time. As I'm seeing how Abby can be redeemed from something that you initially feel like is irredeemable because Joel, you have a connection to Joel. It seems like in cold blood, yada, 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 yada. At the same time, that's valid. That's it is valid. It is valid. And it also it's it's one dimensional and an obtuse way to look at their world. Yes. And on the flip side, Ellie is like descending into revenge, becoming what Abby became when she killed Joel. Yeah, exactly. Go, like they're in this. Like I said, you you said they're a mirror. That's like they're almost like a mirror, or it's almost like Ellie's behind Abby in the progression of what p- potential futures. Meaning, Abby let the revenge over became that person and it's killed very Joel. Luke and Darth Vader. Yes, very Luke and Darth Vader. And then, yeah. uh, and then, so the whole, the whole at the end, that beach scene to wrap us all back to the beach scene. If you had never played the game, it won't really necessarily make sense. I guess we're not spoiling it, but just play it. Just, just play it. I'm gonna say, just fucking play it. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> ba- I didn't w- want Ellie to, f- to finish the job because yeah. I was like, don't, like, it was almost like, don't give in. Like, you'll lose the part of you that makes you strike special. me down and become more powerful than you can yeah. possibly imagine. Like, and then turning to the dark side. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm like, I get emotional to see about it. Then they, they flash to Joel, her surrogate father. And I have kids. So it's like very easy for me to, to that like, hits home. That hits that. home. Yeah. And he's like, 
his dying look. He doesn't say anything. She just remembers his face when he was like the last time she saw him when he's all beat up and he's been smashed. Yeah, when they're in the basement. Yeah, and he's yeah. and he's like looking at her and she realizes like I don't honor Joel's memory by going Murdering to the dark people. side. I don't yeah. go. To, he did. He wouldn't want me it's to like go to the dishonor, dark side. It's dishonor. It's yeah. dishonoring Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, exactly. And then she and then she doesn't. Spoiler alert. Whatever. It's game. No, but old. It, dude, it's worth the play. I mean, here's the. I'll sum it up in one scene because what you said also is like exactly why that game's so great if i had to pick one scene though to say why two is better than one even though it's not in my mind it's not a competition it's just it was logical progression for a successful game to be better than the next one which is what any company should do or aim to do the scene for me that defines that is right before the beach where she jumps down in the compound and the music's playing on the radio that was featured in uh the last uh, scene in the first episode of um, True Detective, if you know which record I'm speaking of. The last scene of the first episode. I love season one of True Detective, so I so it's know it's this. right when McConaughey's sitting there, and he cracks open a beer, and like it's basically signifying the season's begun. Yeah, what he's sitting, he's the old McConaughey in the detective. Yeah, like the interrogation yeah. room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, okay. I'm trying to remember. I, it's not the dead weather. I'm trying to think of the record that's played. But anyways, that same song is in The Last of Us playing on that radio in that weird like hacienda compound as like you're walking through trying to find Abby. And that shit rattled me and floored me kind of like any other great gaming experience that locks me in. Because I remember dro- dropping down the wall and hearing that playing and it's just like really heavy like Southern blues over these really cool Led Zeppelin drums and Ellie's just like stabbing people in the throat and <laughs> yeah, she's uh, letting, letting yeah. the walkers go. And she's just covered in blood and you pick up like an arsenal of guns. And it's, it's kind of like her own uh, hospital scene, but it's yes. way, it's in way more better form and it's not as much chaos. It's just true. Like I've become like a master of death and killing. Yes. Yeah. God, dude, that I, I almost want to just like, go play it again just it's so good right now. yeah a scene that really i mean there's so many good scenes in that game but the scene that really started to hit home the path that ellie was taking what she could potentially take towards the dark side is that asian girl who's like playing a switch or something do you remember that in like it's on the like, boat in the boat i can't i know it's like in a it's like in a or the forest no it's like in a garage or like a like a a utility room like you're sneaking i'm forgetting the exact point but there's a and she has either dina or there's someone with her and she just like ices this chick like slits her throat without even hesitating she didn't really need to uh forget anyway i remember the woods seems crazy where like abby strung up in the woods and those two asian girls uh, yeah well that one comes and rescues them that's what i was thinking of no that's that's another tangent though that i want to talk about one of the things i don't know if you ran across this so before Last of Us 2 came out, the script leaked. It was, and I actually read it, but it was not like real. I don't know if they changed it. <laughs> I couldn't wait. It was partially the same, but partially not. And, but there was the mention of this Asian girl that's like, uh, pretending to be a boy. And all these people got up in arms about a trans character being in yeah, Last of Us yeah, 2. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. We were pissed because we were like, dude, just release the game already. We don't care about Twitter cancer culture. We just want to play. Yes, <laughs> and I knew so many people. This was like, my timeline might be off, but I like it was in the area where like all the, uh, like a lot of the right-wing rhetoric, because I'm, I'm in Utah and everyone I'm around is conservative. I generally, both, I'm both, but I'm surrounded by generally right-leaning people. And the, yeah. the sentiment was... 
like we don't want any more of this PC culture invading our media. We don't want it in our football, whatever. And just the, it was like people were so absurdly angry at just the thought that there could be a trans character in the game. I still know people to this day that will not play it because of that. They're like, I don't want Naughty Dog feeding me PC woke culture bullshit. And I'm like, dude, I know three people that are still in this boat. Like specifically, I mean, these these are to be fair though. These are the same people who will go on Facebook and let fa- Facebook just feed them bullshit all day. So yes, their but opinion it, just isn't that valid. To it me. just makes me angry because <laughs> because one that character I don't ever I don't ever remember it being ham fisted down the throat. It was more she cross dressed to be a boy because she wanted to be a warrior. Did she cross dress too? Because she didn't want to get raped. Like, yes. People don't understand that. That's and it's like they never crazy. overtly say that she's trans. She could have just been cross dressing for survival. No, the the problem is the people like see that stuff and they don't even think about like the implications. Like, dude, if the world was in that state, like rape is one of the number one things that happens every like, day. It's yes. just because there's yes. no fucking rules, dude. Like if you go back in time and look at Vikings and barbarians, like all day, like, every day, it was all rough. day, every day. So like the logical thing to do then is to give yourself any edge if you're a young woman in that world. And and this doesn't even tie into like how she identifies or he or they or whoever identifies. It's purely based around survival at that point. My other issue, too, is like you said, they never like make a statement through the whole thing like if there's a statement in the entire series it's everything is gray yeah well, that's but it's also statement. it's it's the extended pack the one-off that from the first one where ellie and her girlfriend are in the oh true yes like that's the only thing that really falls into any like pro alliance but i i'm fault i'm i'm digressing because this topic gets so makes me so heated my problem with this is this is exactly the type of shit we saw like with how people treated uh, gay and lesbian people forever. And then eventually the world finally was like, oh yeah, cool. Now we accept everybody who identifies that way. Well, then more people try and find ways to help themselves identify and the world backlashes at them again, even though 5, 10, 15, 20 years, trans culture will be accepted just the way gay culture is now. So it's just, I don't know, we live on a planet full of like people who move at a snail's pace in regards to yeah, just generally those things, just accepting other people, man, it drives me insane. Generally those type of things tend to sort themselves out. When I, when I try to have a, a positive view, I think about like from what little I know about history and the, uh, like, what would you say? Like the geopolitical, patterns that have occurred yeah it's like generally things get better like there's this joke that dave i believe it was dave Chappelle said like the premise was you can't go back in time if you're black because it gets more dangerous anytime before the 1980s he's like uh i'm not going back no it's louis ck that was louis ck yeah yeah Yeah, it's a really good one he's like yeah anything time before the 1980s no he's like if i'm a white person i could go back to the year one i don't know what's there when i'm get there but i know there's a table waiting for me and that's a great bit, but as I, as I thought that. about it, I'm like, the truth is, it doesn't matter what you are. If you go back in time, it's more dangerous. Always. So I, I'm like, I just feel like, okay, that trend will continue and society will continue to become like, it'll sort all these things out over time and it will generally get better. And the average person will have a, a better quality of life on average, barring, barring, you know, all the terrible things that could happen, nuclear war, asteroids, solar flare, whatever. Flu. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, the, the part that made me mad about that whole up in arms thing, though, is like everybody f- 
seem to forget like the most important thing about last of us it's about awesome strong female leads like i just if video games are one of the only platforms that have always offered solid strong female character roles you know what i mean like movies finally are starting to get to that realm with like uh mad max fury road with like furiosa but like furiosa wouldn't exist without like gi jane 20 years ago true being a movie yeah, and, a and 20 years ago tons of people gave uh her such a hard time for that role just being like what the hell is this like what is what's she doing shaving her head to me more shaving her head and being all tough it's like no dude like anybody can be that person that's the whole idea and video games have always been a healthy medium for people who have trouble identifying with other aspects of culture at least games give them that chance to say here's a character i identify with so it's it's just so unfortunate that the world's still up in arms of giving people who have trouble identifying i know and i wish people could just i I was like just play it dude i promise just play it dude it's seriously like one of the best games ever like if i had a top 10 list of everything that you and i could talk about gaming wise the last of us would absolutely make it into the top 10 list that's yeah there's a lot of love for that game i love that game uh, i have it's also my brother loves that game i have, yeah. I have two everybody brothers. loves that game it's same thing i have fond memories of we're both playing it like how far are you did you get i don't want to spoil it but like did you get to a place that's yada yada you kind of give him a vague hint oh yeah did i got you get there. up oh, into the yeah, skyscrapers yeah. in boston did you see the skyscrapers start falling apart like oh yeah my God. yeah we can talk about it <laughs> yeah it was just bonding over that too like such an engaging experience and then talking about it it's one of and i would argue part of the reason why i do this podcast uh, is like talking about these experiences whether it's gaming it could be film tv and music yeah. is almost if not more enjoyable than the actual experience sometimes the bonding like for example when game of thrones was doing its thing my oh, brother yeah. and i bonded over that and we would both listen to podcasts that would discuss the show weekly or whenever it came out then we would call each other and we would talk about it and i looked almost more forward to the call with my brother to geek out on game of thrones than the next episode they were 50 yeah. 50 that was us with breaking bad i mean we we did it with game of thrones too but like just to give another respective opinion like breaking bad did the same thing for us where it's like the show's great but I love sitting out and geeking out with like 10 people over like a crazy fight scene or a character death or yep. plot manipulation, like Cersei, like moving everybody into the cathedral and then lighting the whole thing with wildfire. <laughs> like I remember the first time I saw that my jaws like literally dropped, just like she just blew up a church. <laughs> like that show, man, I could go on it. We could do a whole episode talking about yeah. Thrones, but the fact that, like they talk about for however long in the books and in the series about how bad the Mad King was. And then Daenerys like whole journey turns her into the Mad King 2.0 at the end is just, it is the ultimate show of like what power does to corrupt people. It's, Did you like the ending? I thought it was great, but for me personally, they didn't have to really give me an ending. I got so much out of that show and that experience that the best thing they could have done is just kind of say, here's who survived. They're going off to live their own life. John yeah. should live above the wall. Arya should not be confined to the north. She should be on a boat exploring the world. And Sansa, still probably one of my least favorite characters, not with what she goes through, but just generally, like of the ones who survived, it's like, yeah, sure, she'll go on to be queen. She probably won't learn entirely from her lessons. She'll be a good queen, <laughs> but 
you know, she's always yeah. kicking herself in the ass, which is why I get so mad at her. But I think the uh, I thought it was good. What about you? I uh, so I I luckily like someone recommended the book to me, and right when I finished book one is when season one started. Mm-hmm. And so I like blitzed all the books, and then I went straight. I was just in time. I don't think I should have blitzed to the books to wherever they ended. That's not finished. And then I, that, that might have skewered things a little bit, but the books spend a lot more time building the extended lore. And I think really my gripe comes from Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven, like never felt like there was any purpose to that. And in the books, they laid the foundation for like sort of the mystical stuff and the dragons and they and the white walkers and where they come from. And like, I was hoping f- to get some more answers. There's so much about that show that I could complain about in regards to it, just not doing enough justice where it's like, maybe you should have got another season and just extended some of the episodes in each other. Yeah. Season. So true. for example, to go with your point, uh, Shay and Tyrion, their relationship in the, this, the show, they kind of make Shay out to be like a total bitch. And I get it. Like, She's a tough character. She thinks for herself. She's, you know, basically gone from nothing to living in this castle with Tyrion. But all they ever really do is show, like, the initial connection that they have. And then every other interaction with them is just her fighting with him. But in the book, there's all these beautiful moments where, yes. like, he shows into, up into the chamber late at night. And he's so sad and empty and alone. And she's there and comforting him and there's all this love and reasoning for why he's actually crying. Yes. When, and then it makes her betrayal like hit so much better. Actually means something. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my gripe with it. Like it's, I, I wasn't disappointed with the end or the last season. Really. I was more disappointed with like what you said, the in between of just like, there's a lot of good here, but you could have done an entire show of John's experience at the wall with a uh, Tormel. Uh, yeah. Who's like my favorite character in the show, and I would have been absolutely satisfied just to watch that experience of John at the Wall over them like undervaluing some of the secondary characters. Yeah, I didn't mind Daenerys going mad. In fact, it felt very Game of Thrones to me. Like very. I mean, it made sense. Yeah. How long can you walk through the desert, take over kingdoms, be betrayed by everybody, lose multiple dragons, fall in love with your half brother or nephew? <laughs> Yeah, or whatever whatever he is to her and, you know, have a witch curse your first husband, lose your first child. Like, she honestly held in way longer than I could have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was. I was going to ask you what's the, uh, usually I'll ask, like, what's the best single player story and most emotional experience you've had? But I I think it might be Last of Us 2. At least for me, Last of Us 2, as far as, like, a unique, deep, like, Last of Us 2 made me feel off for, like, weeks after I beat it. Really? I was just kind of like, ah, it just sat with me and I would like kind of stew over just sort of the, the, the motif of the game and like what it was trying to say and the journeys of and just like human it made me think about like human nature and we society and we create this bubble that between us and reality in society and how society, it's just, I know it, That's it, interesting. it affected me. Like it made me think about it for a while more than just made me feel emotional. But for you, uh, I'm curious what game has elicited the strongest emotional reaction out of you. So I have two, I have two answers to that. One would be the last of us series. I put one and two together 
And one of the big selling points on it, because this relates to you and me, is the fact that you got to go to Pittsburgh and I got to go to Utah in the game. <laughs> True. Like I never I didn't seen think Utah about that. like yeah. that before. You'd never seen Pittsburgh, I'm assuming, before. But they did a pretty spot on job of showing Wood Street, which is that main street where you get into the hotel for that crazy hotel fight. Yeah. That's all. I mean, I would say 80 percent of that reminds me of home and then the rest is just you know in game design and creative freedom but so like that mixed in with like just the story in the world hands down makes the list now before that as a kid since my gaming history goes so far back uh gothic would be the other game that involves really yeah if you're familiar with Gothic, i've seen footage never played it give me the lowdown on gothic so gothic is basically a scrolls competitor i would say randomly saw it at Best Buy for years, finally picked it up. Basic idea is there's been a war within their world between like orcs, uh, harpies, all things evil in uh, humanity. And the solution is the king of the time uh, gets all the mages of the, the realm together and they create this massive spell that goes over a portion of land. And it creates like a dome bubble, per se, similar to what you saw in the Simpsons movie when they put the giant dome on yeah. Springfield. But uh, your character starts off day one as a prisoner who's being thrown into the bubble and who lives in the bubble is all things bad. And then prisoners, convicts and people like that. And in, within the world, they built three different tribes, a castle tribe that kind of is standard and modern, a mercenary tribe, which is a woodsman realm guys, really good with bows and hunting and skinning things. And then they have a swamp tribe, which is a bunch of dudes who basically smoke weed all day and pray to deity gods. Awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> great, great game. Great game. So when they I love throw the setup. When they throw you into the world, you get to pick whichever group you join. And as you're playing through the game, if you like have one interaction with the wrong person, it will affect another relationship and another camp if it gets back to them. And that was I was young when I played that game on PC, and it was really powerful for me in regards to realizing like, oh, I can't just like be cool with everybody. Like I have to pick sides. Yeah, like I have to commit to something. And then that was interesting, too, because you'd end up committing to each one of these groups. And inevitably, each one of the groups was wrong in their own way, because it would all lead to all of them falling victim to another massive war. So you basically couldn't win. There was just like the lesser of two evils type of thing. And whoever, mm. whichever tribe you went with was based off of whoever, you know, you wanted to fight for in the big war. This is going to be left out of left field. Did you ever read any of the Ender's Games book? books no is it is it is no is it worth a read no it just reminds me i they're very good books i think uh, they came out in the 80s just like ender's game they made a movie of it that's just terrible unfortunately but there's a, the second the second book i don't want to spoil the first book but the second book the main character is kind of like the first book's like a self-constrained story and some of the things carry over but the main character is um traveling uh close to the speed of light in the universe and so he ends up living for a long time in relative to human years that's cool and so he ends up finding his way to a planet where they just it's the first in this universe they haven't discovered aliens like we've colonized lots of other planets we have near speed of light travel we've discovered two like one two alien species basically and only one that is sentient that has like social stuff that has a technology they build like they're called the piggies they're described as looking like pigs got it and um but are actually like aware 
and they're like, aware. Yeah, they, yeah, have, they yeah. have language, they have culture, they have traditions, et cetera, et cetera. And they have That's this, cool. they have this uh, non-interference, like they can observe, but they have this like strict non-interference, I guess what you would call it, like ethos. But they're trying not to interfere with their development, but they also want to study them because it's like an amazing discovery. So how do you walk that line? I mean, long story short, the, they, the piggies end up like killing. They end up being like this series of murders. It's the piggies. And it turns out it's all part of the piggies like reproductive and rebirth process. They like when a, when a piggy is at the end of their life, they like cut them open and they plant seeds in them. And it like, I live, I die. I live again. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> if, if, <laughs> the reason it made me think of Gothic is like at the end of the day, like it's all lesser. It made everyone just kind of seem lesser of two evils. No one's really good. Well, everybody's got their fucking like objectives and motivations yeah. until fucking COVID happens. And then everybody's priorities completely shift. True. You know what I mean? It's the same way in those universes. It's like everything makes sense to those people, like the kings who care about the gold count or this guy who cares about like how many animals they have and if they have enough food for this time period until the Great War happens. And it's like no amount of gold's going to save you, bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> the only thing that matters is uh relationships at that point and if people will stand and fight next to you <laughs> i mean that really is like when it boils boils down that is what it is yeah i mean even at a strictly survival if you want to go the more relationships you have the better your odds are but as far as actual meaning in your life you could also argue relationships are it as well totally did you ever play the witcher 3 no so i electively chose not to <gasps> play the witcher but but i have an actual valid reason Okay. I was busy touring. <laughs> oh, that's pretty valid. I had no time to dive in on something like that or Gothic or Skyrim or anything that would basically take me away from having 14 days at home before I'm back out on the road for 21. Yeah. My time home was dedicated pretty much uh, to getting music written and getting back out. And if I tried playing The Witcher, I knew I'd fuck up my next show, which would then fuck up my next opportunity to get booked again. By that company you are a smart man because oh, thank you uh, my guess would be based on what i've learned about your personality in this conversation that it would suck you in and you would not come out until it had run its course it's why don't you play minecraft done. yeah yeah like it's the same general principle it's not that i don't think they'd be awesome i just only so many hours in the day and yeah. uh eventually one day i'll be 40 50 60 and uh, I'll have all the time in the world to play all of those games. <laughs> At that point, we might have the Matrix. We might just be jacking into some sort of thing in the back of our neck or Elon Musk's Neuralink. With my VR headset, I feel like we kind of already are. <laughs> what uh, what VR do you have? Which one? I got the uh, the Rift from Oculus. Nice. Is it the Rift 2 or the Rift 1? I believe it is the Rift 1. Yeah. I got it three years ago. Okay. I actually have never, I've never dove into the VR experience. Would you rec, would you say it's time or should you wait? And if so, what would you recommend playing? I would say approach VR the same way you would invest in crypto. If you have the money, go for it. <laughs> um, if not, you're going to be waiting a while before it really pays off. <laughs> okay. What's been the best experience you've had? Yeah. 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 Visually, there's some incredible games, epic the guys who made Fortnite put out this game called Robo Recall, which is like the smoothest virtual reality I've ever experienced. Um, it's basically what's that Will Smith movie? I am uh, robot. I am, I am it's robot. like I am robot. I robot. You, 
Yeah. But yeah, you can basically yeah, because I am legend and I robot. I fucked that up. <laughs> uh, basically, you can shoot, use all these cool guns. It's got kind of like a Sega art art style to it, like Sonic or something cool from Capcom. But when you fight the robots, they run up at you, and if you run out of ammo, you can actually holster your gun or throw it at the robot. But then you can grab the robot by its chest and literally pull each arm and leg off of it and head off of it in virtual reality and watch like each part dangling there like. It's insane. I'm watching some footage right now. This looks awesome. It's fucking awesome. And I don't get sick playing it. A lot of the games right now, they don't have the same money that Epic does. So they didn't put as good of a stabilization engine in in regards to movement and stuff. So that's a good example of where like the shooter side of VR is going. And if it ends up in that direction, I'll probably play VR shooters uh, exclusively for the most part. So is the main reason you don't do it exclusively is because generally you do get nauseous or sick? Yeah, well, the motion sickness for the shooter-wise is absolutely the biggest deterrent. But the coolest experience I've played is... Let me make sure I get the name right. I'll, I'll bring it up because I know I have it right here. But it's basically a virtual reality tabletop game. Hmm. Uh, something called... Like Dungeons and Dragons type thing? So it's it's got kind of like a Command and Conquer meets uh, MOBA, like Smite or League of Legends. But it's on a table board, like you're sitting above the tabletop looking at it, and then you can control each one of the troops that goes into battle. It's based in World War II. The, the, the general idea, uh, just to summarize, is you control the troops going down mid lane, right lane, or left lane, and then you can have them fight and attack different bases. Then from that, you get uh, an easel. You bring up the easel, and you can buy planes, tanks, bombs, upgrade ammunition, and you continuously send the fight out, and whoever captures the other one's base first wins. But the cool part is you can literally pick up the troops, navigate them, move them, and control it all in real time. The planes that you throw in, you literally pick up with your hand and then throw it in like a toy plane, and then it flies around the map, and you can pick its trajectory. Um, Is it called Final Assault? Final Assault. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's cool. So Final Assault, to me, in my opinion, is going to be like where I'll be gaming over the next like however many years in regards to like as I get older. Because what I think would be really cool is for them to take that engine and that concept and then create sandbox uh, servers for Dungeons and Dragons and uh, uh, what is that? Star Warhammer and Warhammer. Like that. Yeah, yeah. And then, like for example, say I had a group of buddies that all play D and D, and I get to be Dungeon Master. I would love to get to use uh, base stuff and mods to build yes. like a woods realm and like have my them like actually like walk up the woods realm moving their characters up the hill and then have a cave and then they go in the cave and i could design the cave and i could have an interactive experience and pre-program all these things and then we could watch all of it happen in vr together that would be awesome yeah you could like create experiences like hey we're gonna play friday night i'm gonna build yeah i'll be working on this map all week for us yes and then as damn that'd be so sick and then as it's playing out, I could also take some control over some of these characters. Yeah. So like I could I could be the cave troll and kind of <laughs> enjoy <laughs> fighting through the battle as opposed to just, you know, I mean, now the concept's great, but it's kind of like you just set it up and then it's based off of dice rolls, which is classic. I like the idea of I could create the actual characters and then have some control over them while my five friends are teaming up to fight against this creature. Uh, when you play now, most games, it sounds like you you enjoy the social aspect of playing with other people, which is primarily Tarkov, it sounds like. No, actually, Tarkov's the one game I play by myself, pretty much. Really? 
Yeah, so that's it's ironic with because what you're saying totally is valid. Um, I love the social side of almost everything I play game wise. Tarkov's one of those few games that I really like playing uh, on my own because it takes me back to my Hitman roots. Uh, Lone Wolf, Sniper. I move at my own pace, collect my gear, high high risk, high reward. And then as the season progresses and I get all my gear, then I'll go in and play some games with some friends. But Tarkov's kind of one of those few games that it's so challenging, it's really hard to get a decent group together that isn't going to be yelling at one another at the end of the night because yeah. of the emotional toll <laughs> of losing all that gear. So for me, Tarkov's definitely one of those. I just kind of play it on my own. And then as everybody gets you know enough money in their inventory, sure, I'll game with them. But I would be, be way more into some type of like virtual tabletop Dungeons & Dragons clan experience. or That's going to happen. Yeah, dude, it's I mean, gonna happen. it has to. And when it will, it's going to be the best. Like, I won't even care that much about shooters anymore because I'll get to live in like a digital world going on quests with like my closest friends all from home. This is going to be a hard one for you. What video game has the best soundtrack? Uh... <laughs> you can split it into two. You could say like, which one has the best score? And then you could maybe like games that have licensed music. I'll say as a genre collectively, 8-bit consistently has the best music. 8-bit games have the best music in their games. And that ties back to like Nintendo and Sega and things like that. But more specifically, if I honestly, it's funny, I'm going to say this, but if I had to pick one soundtrack that really like, I love uh, Stardew Valley. Which one? Stardew Valley? Stardew Valley. Oh yeah, people, that's that farming game. People love it. Yeah, so I played Harvest Moon back in the day on N64 and it was great but full of bugs and it was very like the storyline was really forced. Uh, Stardew's everything that I wanted uh, Harvest Moon to be. However, the soundtrack is fucking incredible. Like it's very basic. There's nothing uh, specifically advanced about the sound design. It's just, it changes season by season. I know like the soundtrack in regards to like, oh, this is what's playing where we just got into winter or where it's like fall harvest season vibes. But it's for me, I guess, for the soundtrack, it's like if I had to pick a game that I love, Stardew's one of those games that I'll go back and play just so I can hear the soundtrack while I'm playing yeah. the game. I can't think of a lot of other games that I love the soundtrack that much. What about you? For me, Chrono Trigger. That's uh, I, I'll play that game for the same reason. Like I'll boot it up. I mean, I can I can stream the music from it, but same Some, with Stardew. Yeah. Sometimes I just like I want to like just have the actual. There's something special about having the game open, or I'll play through a section. I have a bunch of saves. Oh, 1995. This is old. <laughs> yeah. Um. And there's specifically I should know this by heart. It's uh the this name looks cool. Chrono Trigger. I believe it's Scala's theme. So there is a producer who sampled it and definitely did not clear it. But yeah, give credit. Yeah. His song is pretty big. It's a uh, ground is lava. Do you, did you ever run across that guy? Yeah, he he was tied in with R.L. Grime and the We Did It Collective from L.A. Yeah, he's got a song that samples this. I forget the no name of the song. Way. I think oh, the song's called Cool Party. And uh, if you, once you listen to Scala's theme and then listen to Cool Party, I mean, it's he ingeniously did it. He did actually very little to the sample, but it was very tasteful. I mean, he preserved what makes the song awesome. Made a cool beat over it. Props to him for doing it. That theme, that song, Scala's, I'm pretty sure it's Scala's theme. Yeah, that looks like it is. I actually can't get it to play right now with my uh, headphones set up. Let me see if this will work. I'm listening to it right now. It's definitely there. Yeah, this is the one. Right? Or maybe it's, uh, let me check one more song to make sure. 
Chrono Trigger soundtrack. I should know this because I actually have an unofficial remix on a band camp for the song too, but I can't remember the name. One second. I can edit all of this to be real quick for our listeners. Oh, you're good. I'm just looking at the Ground Slava did a Ground Slava 2 uh, 8-bit EP. <laughs> Secret of the Forest, Good Night, Strangers Happening. Damn, there's so many songs on this game. Sealed Door. Look, I should just look up my own fucking remix because I know I have it. Chrono Trigger remixes. Quarter of Time. Yes. and I, But I actually think I was right, though. I think the Ground is Lava beat Cool Party is Cool Party, excuse me. This is a sample of Scala's theme where the, the song I was originally trying to think of is like my all-time favorite song is Quarter of Time. Oh, yeah. I hear the, what do you call it? The bells, like 38 minutes, seconds into the pool party or cool party. That's a good song, too. Cool no, party. that's cool. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, you can tell this dude loves video games, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, though, that your favorite's also an 8-bit for soundtrack <laughs> yeah there's just something about i think there's something about the limitations that force you to like okay it's it's really got to be the arrangement and the hook it's, it's got to be memorable because we don't really have a lot of leeway when it comes to sound design and space and you know they were they were like these these cartridges like the snes cartridges i think were well, we should look it up it's probably some atrociously small snes cartridge memory or storage Let's see, size, storage size, 0.23 megabytes Yeah. to four megabytes max. Okay, yeah. That's insane. That's insane. The whole game. So you're making music. It's like they're giving you just tiny, this is all you get. Figure it out. It's got to be good. And it's got to be really good. Yeah, because people have to listen to it over and over and, and over, over. And over again. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I liked Stardew, because it was made more recently, but he kind of took that aesthetic from that time period, yeah. but added more layers to the 8-bit sound. So you still have like the bells with the reverb and the lights, like sign plucks, but now he incorporated like really lush uh, violins and chord changes. And yeah, I could, I could listen to that soundtrack just whenever, and it, it'll always cheer me up every time I hear it. What game do you think you put the most time in total? Oh, I don't I don't know. <laughs> Genre wise, if I had to pick one, probably shooters, but it's starting to uh navigate into this like world of uh story building and quest games that I think is kind of gonna take over the next you know decade or so plus of my life. Um gun to my head, I'd probably say PUBG. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Just, just because like at the heyday, man, it was like any hour of free time I had that wasn't like dedicated to work, travel or sleep was <laughs> spent PUBG. spent trying to get chicken dinners. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever do get into Arma? No. So my cousin who uh, I've been gaming with since like the Nintendo days, uh, he was really into Arma and we played a lot of PUBG together and he'd always talk about how much he misses playing Arma. Yeah, there's some dudes I train with that uh, are military dudes, and they love playing Arma. Like, I think Arma 3 is the one they're up to now. Yeah, apparently yeah. there's a fourth one that everybody's like hoping for, but there's no actual like real info on it. There's a, Oh, I was going to bring up, if you like Star... I've never played Stardew, but I got really into this game called Spiritfarer. Okay. It is like Stardew Valley, but instead of... Instead of... The, like, what's the word? Instead of raising crops... You're like helping spirits go to the other side. Like that's your crop. You have to like make relationships with these people who have died and they're in between life and death. And your job is to like harvest people and get their souls ready to move to the other side. Cool. 
And this is uh, for Switch. It's I think it's on everything. Spirit okay. fairer, but it's like similar where it's all pacifist. You're just like you have to feed these people, you have to make them food, and you're all in this big boat. It's it is on Switch, yes. This is wow, ten out of ten, five out of five. The art ever- style is amazing. It similar to what you were saying about the music. It's just like they somehow make this music that you just want to sit and do these tasks over and over again and relax. And it's the you know, there's no just, action. Yeah. It sounds like lo-fi beats without the drums. That's so cool. It's very good. I, I have a suspicion that that might and it's not like a huge time commitment. This so this would be well, one it of the can games. Be. Well, this is one of those games that I save and play uh, with my girlfriend because she would love something like this. And I would love this, too. So I will add this to our list of uh, games for us to play. I've been we, told to play Stardew Valley because I like this game. So I I'll think- play Spirit Fair. You try Stardew, Stardew. Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should actually join. It's Christian, Tiff, and a few of us uh, have a farm that we've been working on together. Uh, we'd be happy to have Wait, you can uh you can do like co-op farms dude it's the best yeah, i didn't you, know that yeah you all just kind of hang out in a little server and farm and go on your own quests there's like a whole cave system that i like to go through and collect uh gems like jade stone and stuff like that uh tiff loves to fish so she just hangs out at different fishing ponds all day collecting different fish and stuff like that i need to try it usually my problem is is when i i uh when I'm gaming, I have this uh, path I'm trying to get to with some like extra passive income. With my, I've like researched all this content that could be made online, and I'm basically trying to game and create content that I can put up on YouTube and slowly garner stuff. And so I get like super obsessed with that, and then I game with other people like two days, and then I'll just disappear, and I feel that's bad a about common it. theme with the yeah. whole Discord community. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're not alone in that regard. I. Uh, I say, though, you should definitely check out Stardew. The other thing that's cool is I don't know how old your kids are, but they might like playing Stardew with you. I need to try. I've tried. I tried to get them to play the Switch. I had this game called Hollow Knight. Um, it's a kind of cartoony Metroidvania, Symphony of the Night style game. Yeah. But they won. They, their hands are too still small. Like, they can't really like control the controller yet. Yeah. I would I would say Stardew co-op for them and like as they get older it'd be like a really cool game where they can learn about taking care of crops. Yeah, it's a good uh, idea. How to take care of animals, working in a community base, interacting with people. Like it's all very it's on everything, right? I think so. Yeah. Stardew Valley platforms. Switch and yeah, it's PS4, Xbox, iOS, Switch, Vita. That if I had kids, that would be like one of the first games I'd be like, we're gonna build a farm together. Yeah, I know people. I mean, this it started out as like a green light on Steam, and it's become this this massive hit. People love this game. I've been hearing about it for years. Yeah, it's just one of those like they didn't overcomplicate it. They just made a great game, great soundtrack, and it's so good that you finished the game and you're like, cool, let's start all over again. Yeah, that's a good sign when you want to just immediately start over. So I have a question for you, if you don't hit mind. Me. I'd love to switch it up we are a huge fan of the harry potter world at our house i've been there okay yeah love potter world love potter world are you excited for the harry potter jk rowling game that's coming out with ea yes it got it got delayed i believe by a year by a year yeah i've been amped about it so i'm glad you brought this up this is a good side note i got really into harry potter the books uh, as like not like a super extended lore, but I crashed through the books like one they're through great. seven as fast they're as I could. Great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I did 
dive into the extended lore and like on we go to Reddit and sort of hear people pick things apart. I mean, the, some things don't make sense, and I can't think of any examples. But I remember people bringing up things that didn't make sense, like something to do with polyjuice potion, and how like they brought up all these examples where they could have sp- skipped and changed the whole plot and things that didn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, but that's that's the same equivalent of like Frodo could have got on the eagle and they could have just flown to Mordor. It's very you know val- I mean? But that's a valid point. I mean, no, it is a valid point. It's it's a valid point, but like then you don't get the adventure. True. <laughs> it's true. Like, oh, they just what? They they flew it over and then just Kobe'd the ring right into <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the fire. It's alternate. And then in the multiverse, there's another <laughs> there's another universe where they did that. Yeah. The, the reason I bring that up is I got a little bit into it. And I, even though despite some of those things that didn't add up, I feel like that, like, I don't know how JK, JK Rowling or Rowling, have you pronounced that? Yeah. I mean, I've, isn't it she was like telling her kids bedtime stories over the course of like a decade and just sort of built this world up and then eventually decided to write a book? I think that's the legend. So uh, Rowling was a hero to my mom, who's a librarian, because my mom like was about the Harry Potter stuff, like before book one came out. Cause like you and I are with gaming and music. She was like waiting for the early access notes of Harry Potter. You know what I mean? How did like, she, how did she know about it? If it wasn't, that was, was she releasing like stuff online? Well, it's with just being like in like the network of like librarians and people like that. There was just, I, this is my remembrance as a kid, you know, cause it's like, I don't know. Probably oh, okay. 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but over 20 years ago, but basically uh, she just came home from work one day and was just like, Oh my God, you're not going to believe how awesome this book is that I just found. And that began with us sitting down and her just reading a few chapters. And every time each chapter was done, I was like, can we read another one? And then that led to, you know, the movie and like the second book and so on and so forth. And she was, anyways, my, my point was she saw rolling as a hero though. Cause that was what she had told me was these were just stories she kind of created for her kids, but that Rowling didn't really have much of anything, you know, like they didn't, she didn't come for money. She didn't yeah. have like a lot of to work with for her and her family. And then these books just like catapulted her into just like a life of like fortune and uh, being able to provide for her friends, for people that she cared about uh, donating to organizations, basically all the things you should do with money. If you make money like that, um, and my mom just always loved the hell out of her for that. One, because she thought the writing was fantastic. But two, she just loved that this woman was just turning her bedtime stories for her kids into lore that like billions of people love. Yes. Yeah. And I loved that. The, the, I've always thought like, I, I don't know how someone comes up with what, you know, the depth, even though it, the logic doesn't always add up. There's just so much. Yeah. Have you ever done screenwriting or anything like that? No, I never have. I've it's never... so hard. <laughs> I imagine so. I have built, so I have, like, I, my mind is always sort of creating something. And so one way I've managed my mind is I will sometimes let it create, like, small little fictional universes that are remixes of different pop culture or video game lore. Like, oh, I, it's usually if, like I, I played something recently. And I'm really into that world and lore. The next couple of weeks, my mind will be writing fan fiction. Oh yeah, for that, you know. And then it'll move on to the next thing. So I've I've tried to sometimes. It's not easy though. No, I've tried to like systematize what I've been thinking and write it down and organize it. And every time I've done that, I, it's been a pretty obvious come to Jesus moment. Like this is a very difficult task to actually do. 
my uh, my experience with it is I love scary movies. And every Halloween, you know, we basically do like the 30 days of Halloween type marathon at our house that AMC does. But ours is just like, you know, picking our favorite movies through streaming services. Um, so we've been doing that for years. And as you know, there's only so many good scary movies that you can watch and you can only see them so many times before, you know, every jump scare. And Yeah, they're not they're not impactful. Yeah, they definitely yeah. don't have the same like line, like storyline, like a Game of Thrones <laughs> breaking bad with character development so at some point uh during uh i'd say like fall harvest season october time uh for me the past few years i usually sit down and write like a screenplay's worth of stuff for a story and really it's yeah yeah it's always so much fun but it's always such a fucking nightmare to really get the story going yeah it seems it seems like an almost impossible task. Obviously people do it all the time. And that, that's what impresses me about Rawlings. is I, I, I finished that whole series and thought like, how, how did she take a stories that she told her kids and turn it into this giant arc? And I thought like the mystery of Voldemort and how it connected to the scar, it felt like satisfying. He had a soul. Sp- like it was more fucking metal than he split his soul into seven like eight times. pieces. Se- yeah, yeah, seven, seven. Or eight times. Yeah, and like this is so dope. They 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 became more adult and more. They dealt they delved into the dark side of maybe the potential magic and human nature as the series went on. But still maintained like a kid friendly fun overall tone and i i just thought overall she totally nailed it and when i saw footage of that game it got leaked initially a while ago like yeah. and it rumored and then it got confirmed and then i believe there was like an announcement with some little bit more footage and then there was the recent announcement that i got delayed i'm so so ready to go to hogwarts i'm so ready before that yeah bro we i got my girlfriend i bought i got a new computer for myself and i gave my girlfriend my old one and we're just gonna sit there and uh, go to school together. <laughs> so apparently, it's it's open world. Choose your own character. You pick a you pick a house, but you know the house kind of picks you too. So. <laughs> True. Yeah. I'm, oh, I already know. Like for some reason, lately, well, growing up, I would always play like Boy Scout Captain America. I would just be the good guy always. For sure. As I've gotten older, I've been playing some old like replaying some older games and taking the dark route. It's not as fun usually because a lot of times games, the systems will ultimately reward you with the better build for being Always. good. Yeah. So it's, it's usually like you get better, maybe DPS overall, but maybe if you go the, the dark route, you have better like area of effect damage or something. That's usually how they split it. Your cloak looks cooler, but you don't, you're not as effective on the fight. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm probably going Slytherin full dark though for the Harry Potter. You should. I'm going to go Ravenclaw because it's the one I identify with. Really? Yeah. 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 What makes you identify with Ravenclaw? So Gryffindor is like the obvious Captain America one, but it doesn't yes. mean I don't like Gryffindor. Gryffindor is awesome. Um, Hufflepuff to me just is kind of. <laughs> they're like a joke. Kind of. It's They're basically just like your funny friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've, I perceive their house is just kind of, uh, I don't know. It makes <sighs> the, the Hufflepuff is just they're there. If that makes sense. They're kind of like the house. If you don't have another house that you identify with Slytherin is awesome because you wouldn't have Snape like without his upbringing Slytherin house. And as you know, Snape's like the whole reason Harry's like really survived. that Yes. And that's part of it. I ended up uh, identifying a little bit 
with Slytherin, but only really identifying with Snape because Slytherin through the whole thing is just they're the assholes, generally the bullies, but they're also they're the racists. Sh- they're only showing one aspect of Slytherin house through a very specific time. Yes. I would love to see Slytherin through the ages. True. And I also liked the idea that Snape seemed evil, but really he might be, in my opinion, I'd have to revisit the final few books, but I remember feeling like he was the greatest of them all. He is. And it's because he's so sad and disappointed with reality and life that it, it presents his character as angry when really he's just nothing but guardian angel. Like, yeah, his character is the best. So I give mad props to Slytherin in that regard. Ravenclaw for me, I started to gravitate there when Luna uh, Lovegood presented herself oh. on the series. And I loved like her artsy spirit side. And I was like, so Ravenclaw kind of identifies from like more of like an artistic I could see that free spirit. Like I like that side of magic more of like the earth realm, like connecting to the forest, taking care of things, the botany side of uh, magic, as opposed to just like the cut and dry spell casting. Um, And I felt Ravenclaw kind of fell into more of the spiritual realm. That makes a lot of sense. I could see that. And I could see myself going that route probably on a second playthrough to explore like the systems of the game, depending well, on, I, I don't know how much different it's, you know, I don't know what it's going to be very different or is I it just all... want to do it to see the common rooms. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I basically, I want to be like a Snape where it's like, I'm, I'm on the bad guys team, but actually I'm a good guy. I yeah. identify with the anti-hero. Like I've always felt inside of us, like you have a terrible version of yourself. Oh yeah. You have, you have your, you have your shadow self. And but if you can contain the shadow self and use that power to be a good person, you can make dark power. It can still be cool. Like you can still be Darth Vader and be a badass, but not also a massacre innocent people. Well, McConaughey talks about it in True Detective. He's like, this is why we're so good at our jobs. You know what I mean? He's like, what makes us so fucked up is also what makes us so good yes. at our job. The only difference between McConaughey and the people that they're chasing in True Detective is the fact that he chooses to stay on the other side of that line of good yes. and bad and use his power for good as opposed to bad. Yes, I've always identified with that because I feel like it's just more of an analogy of like managing your life and your mental health can feel like you're trying to wrangle a demon sometimes. Totally. And uh, you, you, there's like your mind can go to these dark places, and you, if you don't, if you don't manage that, then um, it, it, yeah, it goes south. But there's also a pride in being like, hey, it's okay. Yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm not Captain America on the inside. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I'm not. Well- I think the trick to there is like the demon's always going to be there. So you can wrangle it till the end of time. Like you could get it into like a whole bunch of knots and tie it down, but the demon's going to get out of those knots or you can just try and learn how to walk with it. Yes. You know what I mean? And like, if almost treat it the way, like you would a dog without a leash (laughs) and just, just try and kind of say like, Oh, demon's about to try and act up, get ready to contain it as opposed to just like, tied up, thrown in a closet, try not to deal with it for five years. And then when it breaks out of the closet, you're like, oh, fuck, I don't know how to handle this because I've kept it away for so long. Definitely. <laughs> I agree. There's a, my, my brother taught me that. Well, I remember having a conversation with one of my other brothers. And we used the uh, super, speaking of Earth, he was classifying people. He was giving me some life advice. And he's just like, look, you like Avatar, Airbender? Like there's Earth benders, there's Airbenders, 
There's just those personality types. And you could repackage totally. that. You could repackage that into the houses of Harry Potter. And you can repackage that into the houses in Dune, right? This has been, these sort of archetypes have been around for a long time. I'm excited I, for that, by the way. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. Dune is, uh, Frank, not Frank. He's the original writer. What's his name? Dennis Villeneuve. I think he's how to pronounce his last name. The director for Dune. He did Blade Runner 2049 and Arrival, yeah. which are two of my all-time favorite sci-fi movies. Arrival is so underrated and slept on as far as sci-fi goes. Yes, it might yeah. be. I put it up there. So my favorite sci-fi is generally, I like spaceships. I like Star Wars, the camp. Yeah, stuff. Prometheus, Aliens. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. for me, Arrival and Contact are like, might be the Jesus and, and the Father. And there, there's no action in either of those movies, but it's, it's sci-fi is just exploring they just explore topics that very few sci-fi, I guess, doesn't happen that often. To me, it's they're logical. Like it, like you have the Hollywood side, which is like Alien, and don't get me wrong. Like I love Alien. I've I'll rewatch that series until the end of time. And you have like Independence Day and like the blockbuster. Like they show up and they blow everything up. Perspective on like Mar- uh, Mars attacks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mars attacks. Exactly. Exactly. I like the idea of contact and arrival and uh, interstellar. That's a good because one. Because yeah. I, I like the idea that if like, so one, if we were to interact with a species, what if they would help us evolve very quickly? And then two, what if like our goal or destiny as like humanity is not to actually interact with aliens per se with them showing up here what if it's our objective to evolve our species and live long enough that then we show up at other planets and become the lore that we talk about on our planet for those planets we become the aliens um and at that point i love thinking about the perspective of like if we were to show up on another planet and they were devoid of like medicines and basic things that could like help save their life and you know, progress the planet or I don't know, basically the opposite of what Thanos does. I love that those movies showcase that side of it. It's not about yes. pain and fear. It's about the evolution of like intergalactic trade, just progress. It's so much cooler. That that leads me to a new topic. We're going to go all over the place. And I, I don't know what your time limit is, but I can go as long as you want. No, um, you're good. So basically I felt bad that I wasn't able to, uh, catch up with you last week what i did today is i got up early handled all my stuff we packed for a trip to vegas and then i took a nap and woke up an hour before our call so oh, i just so basically be go. as long as possible nice. and give you the best best podcast uh let me uh let me take another hitsky of the weed and then i'm gonna yeah, ask i'm gonna you get some water question. okay okay <laughs> i would take a pee too and i'll just edit this out no you're good this is a blast though i'm having a really good time me too okay i'll be back five cents cool all right i'm back are you there yeah i'm here sweet that was too much of a too much of a hurry to take a hit. Oh, we did it again. Getting greedy. <clears throat> <laughs> I was going to ask. Speaking of sci-fi and aliens, excuse me. I was um, very into believing in the possibility of aliens growing oh, up. Oh yeah, definitely. I still do. Yeah. And then I became very skeptical after reading a book called "The Demon Haunted World" by Carl Sagan. Okay. A big influential book for me. I named my kid after because it helped me also realize that Mormonism is not real. Yeah, which was which like, dope. yeah, which is uh kind of like coming out. It's like the Truman Show. It's like it's it's an interesting experience. Dude, that's, that movie still fucks with me to this day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it. Th- I think that's the best way to explain it. When sometimes it'll come up, especially if I'm traveling. 
it's like uh you just fully you know you're indoctrinated to believe reality is one way and then you start kind of like seeing things that don't, don't add up and then eventually it's like oh okay wow anyway that book made me very i became very skeptical of everything after that process and i thought all alien everything like everyone that talked about aliens they were all mass hallucinations or mental illness or they were lying and trying to get which is really now that i think about it really illogical when you think about the volume of experiences that people claim to have had seeing things well i would say just to ask a question would you say based off our conversation i seem like a relatively stable human being uh now yeah (laughs) now (laughs) (laughs) i have my own experience with seeing a ufo to add i did too so yeah, we should talk so, about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what's interesting is I saw a UFO when I was Mormon, and Mormon doctrine kind of it, it lends itself to UFOs not breaking the logic more than traditional Christianity does okay. because because of some of the doctrine. It's a little more like out there and sci-fi, like closer to Scientology. They they move away from that stuff now. But when I was growing up, it was a little more prevalent. And so the idea is that like there's been multiple gods. Our god was once a man and we're in this process of becoming gods. And that's what this whole experience is about, which is in, in, in its way outside of the religion, actually a pretty cool sci-fi concept and a, and a beautiful idea in a way. But uh, so uh, that UFO experience, like didn't break my worldview because I could fit UFOs into the internal logic of one yeah. doctrine. And it would work when I found my way out of it. It's interesting that I sort of wrote, I wrote that experience off or kind of just, I did the same thing that I did while I was in Mormonism to evidence that went against Mormonism. And you put it into like this back compartment uh, that the term they use in a lot of Mormon ex Mormon circles is a shelf. You put something on the shelf and you just kind of forget about it because yeah. it doesn't, you don't really like it's confirmation bias essentially. And well, anything that challenges the norm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so it's anxiety and anxiety is not good. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming out of Mormonism, realizing how many things I was putting on the shelf. And then I turn around and I throw this experience I had on the shelf because now it doesn't make sense. It kind of made sense within Mormonism. Now it doesn't make sense. And the book that helped me get out of Mormonism is one of the catalysts has a a big section dedicated to UFOs about how a majority of this stuff is, there's not really much teeth to it. And that famous quote, you know, great, was it great claims require great evidence or extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And so I went away from the UFO, but the last Four years, I've switched back to be to be like almost like I'm such a believer. The reason I bring it up to you is like, okay, this guy seems pretty rational. I need to let me spot check and make sure I haven't gone crazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm full fucking in on aliens. I'm all so, in. So without having to do like a whole thesis on it, I can sum it up for myself in about a paragraph. Seven trillion, no, seven quadrillion, <laughs> not trillion, quadrillion. Uh, planets that we know of uh, within like space and the universes, not a chance that we're the only ones out here doing something like this. I would this agree not, that lot's not happening. Yeah. yeah, I agree that there's for sure initially, uh, even a skeptic, there's probably microbial life. Well, it's but that's the thing too. It's it's not just about like somebody who has like a computer and Discord and like a vape pen somewhere else. It's like beings that have transcended living in like some type of vessel and they live on some like cosmic plane maybe of, yeah of spirituality within like a realm of the planet like where they are all a part of the planet now where they live in the trees 
and within the ground and the earth and like that's their evolution and the whole planet lives in peace and heals and grows and dies together in a very like positive uh non-biased way like to me that's the equivalent of aliens just as much as some fucking guy with a really big head and massive black eyes rolls up the spaceship it's they're both aliens that's it's it's just it's so obtuse and i'm not saying this to you it's to anybody um who would really try and challenge me on this to say like well that's not possible and it's like well like the over the history of mankind like if you look at like explorers like finding america and then thinking they were in india and calling native americans indians like and being blown away by indigenous people living here like that was almost like foreign and alien to them at that time yeah and like if they went back home and were to tell people like oh this is what we found there'd definitely be somebody at a pub just being like fuck that there's not people living on the other side of the planet in tps to the average person i think sometimes unless like you said there's extraordinary proof to go with those claims they just don't want to hear it my thinking is you consider it's what the planet's like 25% water or 25% land, 75% water. We don't even know half the stuff that swims in the ocean. ocean. We don't even know. That's, that's as much of a ground basis for saying like compare earth to the universe, compare land to sea here. Of course there's other life out there. (laughs) Yeah. I agree that there's definitely (laughs) other life out there. I, I was held up on like intelligent life that could travel well, that's a whole other question. Yeah. Yes. And I was held up, um, you know, that the people talk about the Fermi paradox and the great we filter. can't technically travel. You know what I mean? Yes. So we don't even qualify yes. for that right now. <laughs> but I like what you said about maybe an intelligence living on a different plane of existence. That's maybe like the idea that there's energy flowing through everything. You get into. Well, you look at like <laughs> sci fi films, they talk about telepathy. Like the aliens in uh, Independence Day communicate mostly through telepathy. Yes. Like obviously human beings are moving in that direction in some form or another. Like how is that not possible for other species to evolve and move in that way? There's a really interesting book. The name escapes me. It was some Graham Hancock type guy. It wasn't Graham Hancock that was theorizing that we used to have the ability to communicate telepathically. And he was, I thought the the book was interesting. I wasn't convinced, but uh, I, I thought the, to go along the step, sorry, I'm having, I got way too high. Got to calm no, down for good. a second. This is a perfect um, <laughs> conversation for it. <laughs> I, uh, along with, you're kind of essentially saying that there's so much room in the unknown out there. How could you rule out aliens? Space is huge. There's so much in the ocean we don't know. I also like, think there's so much darkness and unknown in our own history. Like when we- that, I mean, look at like the internet. I learned something new every day on the internet that I didn't know existed before. Like, yes. Yeah, you have to always stay open to the fact that, like, and realistically, we know nothing. <laughs> realistically, like, once you go back, I mean, every hundred years you go back, the data points that we're extrapolating our narrative on our history, we get smaller and smaller and smaller, and your resolution gets lower and lower and lower of the Which picture. Makes your open mindedness smaller and smaller. And so smaller. I'm just like, the farther you go back, I was like, dude, maybe aliens. You know, maybe Graham Hancock is right, and aliens came down and helped us evolve, and we've had multiple cycles of civilization. Oh, did you ever play Mass Effect? Please tell me. No, no, Mass Effect. Oh my god, does it tie in with that? Oh, everything. Oh, I don't want to ruin it because don't because I play. I plan on playing through it at some point. The Legendary Edition just came out. It's all three games uh, remastered. It's worth it. 
once we move and I get set up back east, I kind of plan on really diving in on uh, more exploratory stuff, um, just because my life's going to become exponentially easier. So that'll be one that I'll keep in mind. I would definitely personally recommend. Mass I mean, it's Effect. massively celebrated. I'm, ma- I'm, I'm absolutely aware of how successful and awesome the series is. I just haven't personally dove in. Yeah, they, uh, and it's worth. Like, we can't. I, I don't want to give you any more hints. Have no, a, no, please yeah. save, save that. You one just, for me. But anyway, I'll play that, and then we'll do another uh, chat, and we'll talk about it. Hundred percent. I just rebeat. I just <laughs> replayed the whole trilogy. That's cool. Out. That's that's a huge selling point for me right there. Yeah. The fact that you went through and played all three again. It was amazing. I love it. It's not like Last of Us 2 amazing, but I would say the story, the story, the world and the lore is top, top tier. The game, well, the game really everything isn't else. anything like Last of Us story. There isn't. Yeah. Experience as well. So like, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's it's its own thing. Yeah. It's its own thing, but I would say in some ways I'm I, be, I I'm more obsessed with Mass Effect. I geek out maybe a little bit more, and it's also recency bias. I just replayed the whole thing, so it, no, I, yeah. I I got to try it now. Then it's good. But the idea the idea of cycles and ancient like the, every direction we look, whether it's space, the past, inward to the paranormal to the oceans like there's a lot of unknown and like, like i mentioned i've even becoming more open to the idea of the phenomena that is often described as go- maybe it's not ghosts but there's shit that happens that we don't understand yeah and i'm just the older i get the more i'm like man maybe there is something to all these things and the recent ufo uh news cycles that the 2017 new york times report the, the Pentagon confirming stuff, the report that just came out this month. I'm like, damn, it's getting hard for me to not just, I guess I'm having a hard time. Like I feel pretty certain about where all the arrows are pointing. So I'll share a more modern uh, take on it that I think you'll really appreciate. Um, so I'm a huge subscriber and like, I don't ever really choose to believe in like one thing. I just like learning about ideas and then I can just have, uh, whatever I choose to enjoy at that time be what I want to talk about. So to me, nothing's ever like white or black or purple or blue. It's always just here's one concept and here's another one. Let's discuss both of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So one thing I love is uh, what Ridley Scott put into with Prometheus and the idea that an alien showed up on our planet, dissolves itself with through uh, science and it gets into our water that adapts through evolution, and lo and behold, we come out like a few. That's the uh, Prometheus years. take. That's the Prometheus take. Now, what would result from that, which I find interesting, is the concept of like universal or societal amnesia. And it's the idea in theory that uh, we grow and build as a society, and then we make tools that are better than the people who use those tools. And eventually, uh, to tie in with the movie Idiocracy, if you've ever seen Idiocracy. I do not. I'm not even familiar with it at all. Idiocracy is great. It's uh, from the guy who made um, King of the Hill and Beavis and Butthead. But basically, the idea is dumb people will outproduce smart people <laughs> sexually, and they'll just continuously uh, spawn more idiots who are raised by idiots who are raised by idiots. Um, and then eventually, everybody who lives on this planet uses these tools, and nobody knows how to make them or recreate them. And then some event happens, 
causing us to go into some form of the dark ages and we lose and then, everything yeah. and we lose everything and after like two three four generations of the dark ages it's all starting all over again and they were joe rogan was the first person i heard talk about this from one of his old stand-up specials before it became a podcaster and he was talking about how that could actually explain the pyramids and the idea that the pyramids were like these massive monumental achievements and eventually like the people who actually designed them and put them together died and all that was left were the builders of Egypt. Those uh, people went off into caves, did the whole caveman thing, came out of the caves and just kind of claimed like, oh, like either like these are things we built without any like reference of how they did it. And they just told generations after them that they did that. Or they walk out of the caves and are just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. pyramid and it'd be wild to think of that happening to us again here you know smartphones and the internet and fucking digital cryptocurrencies and all of that buckling we go into the dark ages Very and then quickly. places like atlanta and phoenix get overgrown like an i am legend and then we walk outside and walk to downtown phoenix they're like how could somebody build a structure like this <laughs> how could uh these big glass structure buildings exist like what even is this material that's being used yeah. to build these buildings um so that's that's uh, that that concept i think is really interesting in regards to saying like like how do we even know if things existed they could have been here and our ancestors didn't even tell us because our ancestors are dead yes. and the ones who are around never even told the stories to keep it going like as far as we know the internet's the only thing that digitally archives everything that's happened that we know of but like was there an internet before this internet <laughs> yeah and if and if something were to happen and then i mean the internet exists and it doesn't but in theory if there was like a solar flare <laughs> EMP wipes out every c- computer circuit on the planet. Like no coming back from it for, for like a thousand years. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we end up going back down. Uh, I've also heard this on Rogan. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard actually Randall Carlson's talked about it outside of Rogan. And I've heard it on uh, another podcast that they, some people think there were times when we were down to less than a hundred thousand people. Yeah. Then you know, that's what they were talking about. That's fucking crazy, right? And it's it's so yeah. So that's why the idea of like ancient civilizations or aliens or Atlantis. I'm like, you get these bottlenecks where you have these mass extinction events. As far as like theories that are technically you can't you can't write off. Like anything's really game because we don't. There's just so little that we know. The farther you go back. And the Earth's been around a long time, and we're piecing together these data points based on fossils and digging things up. And the trend seems to be we keep pushing the date for modern anatomically correct humans farther and farther back as we keep finding things. Yeah. And uh, so it's like, okay, we got we got the sky is infinite. The past, in a way, is sort of infinite in terms of possibilities. Uh, like maybe you know, maybe God is a dude with a beard and a robe up in the sky. <laughs> Right. Or maybe like I'm just the kidding. Whole, maybe like, but no, but like then maybe the whole thing's also just some kid's science experiment. And exactly. we all just we all just live on some kid's shelf in his in his room. I used to love I used to love the idea of the first men in black movie where the do you remember the last scene? The 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 snow globe that goes into the universe into the, the marbles universe. and then yeah. it's just our universe is one of many marbles in some alien's bag and he's just shooting marbles on a rock somewhere. That's it's just that's I love it. I love the idea of it just panning out from like Brooklyn, New York, United States, Earth, Milky Way. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, neighboring planets, so on and so forth. And then it's just, we're just a fucking marble in somebody's bag of marbles. And then like, I look at like a bag of marbles I used to play with as a kid. I'm like, wow, what if those were all universes? And I was just shooting them around on my floor. I've had the thought that what if there was an, <laughs> there was an intelligence that like their time scale in which they lived was so long that maybe carbon-based life is just like seeds. Like we plant food. Yeah. And it's like through panspermia and like, and then they just like come and harvest it. Or maybe it's an experiment and we're like in a lab and they're seeing it was like, that's, that's interesting. Carbon based life is like a, a engineered phenomenon. And then the amnesia is like intentional for the, for the actual, like, yeah. And it's like the self replicating algorithm that you put in any environment and it'll try to figure out what's the best way to live in that environment. And it produces all these like various forms of life. And maybe it was engineered as an experiment or I, I there's just, it could be anything. It, it could be anything. Yeah. So when I say that, it's like, sure, aliens couldn't exist, but they also equally could. But what I meant was, <laughs> what do you think about the recent news in the last like five years in the world of UFO sightings? Because I went from like, this is all horse shit to like, damn, I don't know, man. I I just I think what I've always thought is which I is I saw a UFO when I was oh yeah 19 tell me tell and me and that's that's all I ever needed was that and I know exactly how I feel about it what um, uh what was your experience I'm curious so we were currently driving from Pittsburgh down to Morgantown which is where WVU is it's like a college town in West Virginia um it's like a three three and a half hour drives from where i was living we went down one night got there at like one in the morning left at two so we drove like all night you know what i'm saying like it's two let's say like two or three in the morning to like six seven a.m so we're driving uh back to pa and on that road there aren't like a ton of street lights it's very dark at night there's no light pollution out there at all and as we're driving up the road around like four in the morning um I look up to the right into the sky and I see it doesn't look like what I would think a flying saucer would look like from like TV and stuff, but it's got like the saucer type base. And then it's got this kind of like weird arc, almost like circular sphere. How clear, like in terms of far away, like could you see details on it or just the shape? I could see an orbing movement of light from a distance that was just as distinguishable as the light from like the moon. If the moon was at like a, a 10 from one through 10, the light of this would be at like a three or a four. Okay. And then in terms of detail, I couldn't see any significant like detail of a ship, but what I saw was an inconsistency in its shape. I had never seen anything like it since or before. Um, Basically, like I was saying, it had this, the flat, ufo base and then it had the spherical thing up top but it wasn't a perfect sphere it was almost like one half of it was circular and then as you got up to like the halfway point of the circle it almost kind of like tapered off with like weird edging just like something i couldn't even explain you know my question is so you saw a light and a shape yeah 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 well i didn't just i didn't just see it so i saw it and we're driving and the person i'm with at the time i point at it and she just like immediately gets floored by it doesn't even say anything she crawls to the back of the car like unbuckles her seatbelt and then starts watching it from the back seat where like i have a big uh rear view window um 
And then we just sat there for hours and just kept being like, what is it? What is it? Because the thing was, it wasn't just passing. It stayed there in the same space. Dude, we are the same person. We almost have the same fucking experience. That's wild. So basically, we drove all the way back to Pittsburgh. I get out of the car. I park. She runs into the house to tell her friends, like freaking out about the experience. I walked down the road. And at this point, I'm from my perspective, I'm basically standing like right underneath it at that point. And I just kind of did one of those like conscious, like, well, if I'm going to get abducted, like this is the time, see what it, <laughs> you know, just kind of like positively putting into the universe, like, go ahead, you know, cause I'm like 19. I'm massively disappointed at the state of the world and with politics and yeah, global warming starvation. I'm like, this place fucking sucks. Please abduct me and let me go do something better with my life than contributing to this whatever this fucking thing is and um nothing happened of course and then i got in my car drove home was still up there in the sky went to sleep woke up first thing i did is walk outside and was gone that's a lot so that was there a lot longer than uh my experience but like five hours like to where i've never seen anything else in the sky like that it wasn't like a helicopter that was floating for a few hours definitely wasn't a plane yeah whatever it was it was up there doing its thing and i saw it into the wee morning of uh, sunrise wow yeah damn dude so you saw i want to just make sure because i was trying to envision what you were describing it was at night right before you first saw it yeah yeah like middle of the night like middle of the, in the night. morning yeah, yeah okay. in the summer and then you woke up so you saw the light but you also saw a shape that was irregular like well i saw light coming off of it it was like a really big star just like floating through the sky okay I'm so, I'm, so i guess i'm confused because you said so, like the top half was it sounds like sometimes it sounds like you're describing a light and sometimes it sounds like you're describing. A so imagine if you, if you see a car at driving at night and you're like, you're just like a pedestrian standing in your yard. Uh, you can see the lights of the car, but because of the taillights or the headlights, it shows also like the body of the car. Yes. Okay. So yeah. I was seeing something like that, but in the sky to where it was giving off light that was then emulating the rest of the shape of this thing of whatever it was. So you could deduce sort of the, sh- the outline of what the shape would be. Just like I could. With yeah. A vehicle. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But there was no beam. There was no like, there was no like laser or anything like that. It was just purely like something was up there and it had some type of mechanism on, mechanism on it that showed light. And it was enough light that I could see the outline of something. Oh, that's that is a for little like, bit different than okay. for like for like five hours though. That's, that's what's part, weird. That's yeah. the part that fucked with me. It was like if it was just like a glimpse of something, I would have been like, sure. But like we literally crossed a state line and it was still in the same place. Yeah, that we don't. I don't. I mean, maybe a dro- small drone could be in the air for. I don't it's, know. I, it's I, possible, I but to be fair, this is. I'm 31 next on Monday. This is when I was 19. Yes. This is a long time ago. This is 12 years. Drone ago. tech was not there. No. Yeah. And it definitely wasn't in this part of West Virginia. <laughs> like maybe, <laughs> maybe if I was in, Mar- if I was in Maryland and I was, you know, down by like the Pentagon in DC. Sure. I could chalk it up to something like that. Yeah. But like in like the middle of nowhere, like sure. It would make sense that they would test it out out there, but what are they doing? Just flying it up there in the same spot for five hours. Maybe they're test driving a craft that we've recovered. It's possible. Maybe ah. it's something designed that, like, you know, they figure nobody's out there other than dumb old me. And yeah. like, who's going to believe me? <laughs> I saw, I saw a light camping that was, um, 
Really? Just the light. Like I didn't discern it was far enough away, but we I was what's compelling about this story that I've thought about a lot is it was me and an entire group of kids in my high school. They had this class called Unified where it was like alternative hippie education. Cool. You like went camping and you got like geology, science credit, and art. They challenge your way of thinking on stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the trips we went down to Southern Utah, which I didn't know at the time, was actually pretty close to Skinwalker Ranch, which is an area that's notorious for UFO sightings. And we were just camping, and there was five kids that I have all I've asked three of them since if they remember this experience all three of them said yes yeah and then some of the other kids that were there remember kids talking about it um, so i was not the only one but there was essentially like an orb that put on like a, a show in the sky there it was uh it just like you first mentioned it was just a small light i didn't discern the shape of a vehicle it just looked like not a star though it looked like a floating flashlight okay just like a floating flashlight. And it, it appeared to be much closer and lower in the atmosphere than a star would. Okay. Um, I don't know if it really was though, but it just like, I got, I got a sense that it was like way lower in altitude than a star would be. Which and is it, how I thought about the ship. I was yeah. Like, it's in such a weird middle ground between the ground and the sky. I was like, what the hell is it doing there? And this uh, light, just same thing. It stayed there forever. And when we were out, this was probably, I was 17, I'm 35. So whatever the math is, it's similar to your story. This is a long time ago. I had no reference point for anything besides a helicopter that could sit and hover. There was no noise. It didn't look like a helicopter. There was nothing about it that gave off any sense that we were looking at a helicopter. And uh, I, I would say I put between 45 minutes and an hour and this light would slowly move around. It would change colors. It would change shapes. It would get like big. And fadey, then it would get small and concentrate concentrated. Then it would like uh do like swirls of rainbows. <laughs> Why? That's awesome. <laughs> and it was it like and no one's uh, I wasn't on drugs. Uh I did drugs later in my life, but I'm like to hardcore. clarify, I wasn't either. Let's okay, just, that's good. Just to put that out there. And I did a lot of after I got over the Mormonism thing, I did do a lot of psychedelics, but this sp- particular instance I was not I just, on just anything. A pure mind just driving home and yep. like seeing it or out in the woods and seeing it yeah exactly and then uh a girl came to school i would say the following midweek and said remember the light because we've been talking about it and she produced and i've tried to track down this news article i know it's somewhere but i'd like the name of the city i need to look harder i need to like look at a map and try to do a process of elimination but she brought a news article that said they're saying the light we saw was a missile test and i thought like I remember thinking, like, I don't know any missile that can float and put on a light show and do for an rainbow, hour, psychedelic colors, and change yeah. shapes and get bigger and smaller. And oh, and by the way, it, the way it disappeared, it blew up into a, like a bigger, more vague, like fuzzy light, and it changed colors. Then it just dispersed into nothingness. So was everybody just like freaking out when this was happening? <laughs> Basically. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like fear. I don't think, I don't remember. No, but I'm like, 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 are you seeing this? This is insane. Like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I like, yeah, I called one of my good friends that was there like later when I started getting back into the UFO thing, when I I was moving away from being a total skeptic, I called, uh, I contacted three kids from that trip and was like, am I crazy? Do you remember? I have this memory of all of us sitting around seeing this light and they all remembered it. It's real, dude. I mean, if you get a chance, bring up uh, your chat window uh, on Zoom. I I did a quick paint 
drawing for you so you could have a visual oh. representation of what I was describing. Oh, dude, one of my uh, that looks just like. So you uh, see the the saucer I'm talking about, yeah. The part and then like it's like spherical, and then it just gets edgy on the right side, and then the yellow that I used to round it was to represent how there was kind of like a hueish glow off of it. Damn, there's a. Have you seen the movie The Phenomena? I don't. No, I don't think it's so. It's a documentary, and uh, it only highlights. Well, it generally highlights the most credible UFO cases. A lot of stuff has been declassified now, but there's a picture of this farmer who. I guess there was like a cra- a UFO craze in the 40s and the 60s, like a lot of sightings happened. Okay. And this happened in the 40s. I want to say like 47 or 48 is where my mind's remembering. This guy owned a farm. He took a picture of a of a silver craft that has almost that exact same shape. Really? That you drew, yeah. Minus the fin. Like you have one side that's kind of like a fin, like it's not as uh, smooth I, yeah side. i mean it, i guess it could be considered a, a thin but it to me it was just like an edge that's the best way to describe it yeah it's a pretty good way to put it too the part that tripped me out though was like it's a thin like why is the rest of the flat the bottom so flat and it's like yeah so that's what tripped me out about it, it was the shape was so irregular have you was, seen the gimbal video no what's that about oh my god dude you're like a virgin on the new shit well you gotta remember too i'm moving right now Ah. Um, i'm i'm building like another business i just i only have so many hours in the day and then it's just i i i'm excited pick and choose stuff yeah i'm excited to show you this what normally will happen is uh some night over the summer i'll have a very easy like 8 9 p.m i'll wrap up work and then i'll start down the rabbit hole of all this stuff and the next thing you know it's 5 a.m i go to bed and wake up the next morning yep. with like a plethora of knowledge and <laughs> those so, are magical nights but that's why i also can't just click on videos sometimes because i'm like i can't rabbit hole right now yeah. <laughs> i can't let the internet suck my day well, i sent you a video it is 34 seconds it's a it has been confirmed uh this was in 20 oh yeah no i've seen this i've seen this. yeah but you yeah. know it has like that kind of it's like flat and it has like a fin or something protruding it's irregular though yeah it's irregular that's what i'm trying to get at yeah yeah i don't know man i've uh there's just been no, i'll tell you like that's pretty close to like what i was looking at the only difference there is it just looks like um their angles different on it than mine yeah because they're looking at it from like a you see like at uh zero 30 when they get like a side shot of it yep that's when it looks very similar to what i saw but just flip it upside down and have that little spherical thing on the top on the top yeah, yeah. i have a, a good friend that's been on the podcast i think it was like episode it was one of the early ones he's a commercial airline pilot no one's gonna listen to this sorry mike he he's told me later because he just was worried he didn't mention who he works for and didn't want to like do anything with his job but he uh, he did see a UFO as a commercial airline pilot. And I've been really look, looking into that more often. There was one recently where these French pilots. Oh, not, I, my, I'm going to get the details wrong. Let me get, get it right. Two pilots call air traffic control. See a cylinder. American Airlines pilot reported seeing a long cylindrical object come startling close to the craft as it was flying over New Mexico. Oh, New Mexico again. The pilot called air traffic control shortly after noon to report the, the, the video. He's like, I don't really know how to say this. Are you guys flying anything out here in coordinates, blah, blah, blah. Because I'm seeing what looks like a giant hot dog or something like flying over us. And uh, 
my friend has uh he's a pilot he's shared some stories with me and i'm i just it's been on my mind a lot lately like man i it's it's a joke like people say yes i believe in aliens it seems obvious the earlier part of our conversation i think a lot of people would agree with that when you think about the universe and probabilities and how much space is out there and how much we don't know but to jump to like they're here right now potentially been here if you look into the the history of this phenomena and people reporting seeing these things it's like another level of like whoa what have they been doing i i think there's there's just a lot of interest in science to it so one thing that really stuck out with me a few years ago is ancient aliens had this great episode about uh antarctica i don't know if you've looked into any of that but like i haven't antarctica and aliens is a fascinating subject to read about (laughs) basically in antarctica um a portion of it's sectioned off to like six different like world countries so like america has a quadrant uh China has one, Japan has one, Russia has one. Um, And then there's a giant like dark space, like the dark zone of Antarctica that nobody owns and can claim. And I was like, well, wouldn't it be interesting and logical, because they said this on the show too, that if you were landing here and you were feeding uh, different communities technology and beta testing stuff on people and seeing the sociology and anthropology of it you wouldn't fly over new york you would fly to the bottom of a planet and then just flip your ship and land it right there at the edge and then have six different governing bodies uh have uh communication with this creature that can pick and choose what it shares with which different group uh which leads to like technical evolution that happens in different cultures in different ways maybe yeah maybe we're a research project that's and that's yeah. that's really where it falls into play for me that I think the whole thing could be like a giant experiment and that's when I think that theory is pretty interesting. Um, the thing though that I think is just so sound when people try and jokingly like if somebody's like oh I believe in aliens but they're just saying it as a way to bait somebody out to get to see how crazy they are because that's a thing. It is a um, thing. My take on it is <laughs> there was a time uh, where people thought they knew everything about like the way the world worked and like Galileo comes through and just fucks everybody's opinion up on it, you know? Yeah. And then like that becomes a standard on how things Well, didn't he get, like get executed and they buried it and then his opinion fucked everyone later? Yeah, Isn't... but it's it's the point that like yeah. everybody believed one thing and then it takes one person to come along, think it outside cha- the box head. Yeah. and changes everything. So like, sure, in this reality, in this current moment, all we have is a bunch of, like, Blair Witch-style footage yeah. of UFO encounters. There's one really good meme counter-argument that, like, I hate it because it's effective, and it's it's actually pretty solid. Is uh, Elon posted it. It was, like, a graph mm-hmm. of the resolution of cameras and then a graph of the blurriness of UFO photos. And resolution of cameras have, like, skyrocketed, and the, all the flo- photos were still blurry. It's like a joke. And like, that's a, hey, I got to give credit where credit's due. That is a valid point because why are they all still Blair Witch photos? Right. So my thought on that is one, if I'm me and I'm doing like whatever I'm doing on another planet, I'm definitely not getting caught doing it. You know what I mean? So I kind of throw a lot of the footage to the side of just like, it's the equivalent of seeing cheesy, scary, like jump footage, like a group of people go to a house and film it like a super dilapidated home. And then they'll have like their buddy, like in like an outfit, like kind of jump out and the camera's super shaky and everything, but it's like, Oh, the place is haunted. Like that's, I equivalent 
the ufo videos generally to like those type of scare videos however i have seen like some real and read some really fucked up stuff like guys who were going hiking and they stumble upon like cult like campsites and they like i saw footage of it this guy is walking through a new york property and like upper state new york about as deep in the woods as you can get back east um in that state and he walks onto a property sleeping bags campfire there's nobody there but there's uh missing persons posters on every tree like around the site i'm talking like hundreds of missing persons posters and it so it'd be weird yeah dude it'd be weird if like so and, and Wait, let me get this straight. So there's a camp spot of gear and sleeping bags, but there's nobody there. Yeah. And the spot that they're they're in the forest and all the trees surrounded them have posters nailed to them. Taped, nailed, and they're like all all attached to the trees, but they're not, they're not new. They're, they're all from different time periods. Like you can see, like some of them have been up and suffered like an entire like fall season of rain damage. Cause back East, like it gets really wet. in the forest so you can see like the tape damage there but then there's other ones that look like they got put up just a few days ago oh my god that's you turn around and leave and never come back dude well absolutely so the guy like got a ton of footage of this went home researched all the names they were all real missing persons it wasn't like some fake oh my thing god. where did he you con- see this i want to i'll I, I have a copy of the video i'll send it to you okay it's it's like a 30 minute watch though so it would kind of destroy the end of the podcast. For no us. worries. No worries. But basically he contacts the authorities. Authorities are, they look into it. The response that they got was it was set up for Halloween, but one, why are you using real missing persons posters? Like real people who are gone that have like family members, children, parents. Yeah. You, and, and you could be a crazy asshole. Yeah. And the second thing was it was filmed on October 3rd. Like, why is this set up on the 3rd of October? And, like, paper taped to trees that is not going to survive. Paid, that have been up yeah. since, like, September, August. Who knows how long yeah. it's been up there. So I, I don't believe in, like, the traditional sense of, like, the videos that we see. But, like, where I don't believe in the jump scare house videos, I do believe that there's really fucked up scary things that exist that we're not aware of. Yes. Uh, in terms of the horror realm. So, yeah, I don't really justify a lot of these like ufo videos but i believe that there's probably some crazy interstellar (laughs) shit going on that we're just completely unaware of you know what i mean that's how i feel about paranormal stuff too i saw a documentary recently on netflix called surviving death i would say 60 percent of it i didn't find compelling at all and they to be fair the documentary wasn't trying to push any conclusions they were just doing it a handful of episodes around different areas of where people are researching death mm-hmm. and like weird phenomena. The very first episode is near death experiences. And they talk to people who have been cataloging near death experiences and researching them. And there's people at different various universities and different departments. They interview people who had near death experiences. And it becomes pretty obvious that like people are having the experience for sure. And there's some commonality between their experiences. Now, are they really dying? Is it all in their head? The only evidence that they provided were some of a small subset of these experiences. People were experiencing themselves floating about their body, observing events. And then because they didn't die, they'd come back and they would like, for example, one lady was in the operating table and she could tell the surgeons like the brand of the scalpel and like what the guy to his left said at a certain time. She remembered things that she shouldn't really remember, but she, I 
Yeah. I've astral projected a lot when I was younger, so I can. Okay. Have, yeah, I, I can. I don't actually the... bring this up that often because people think I'm crazy. But we're on. Here we are. I tried it. No, I, I mean, tried it's, it it's... once, and I had an experience. I don't know if it was real, but the experience. I just like I'm not going to do that again. So I had no control over my astral projecting. It just happened. That's that's what was wild for mine. It was always like me laying in bed thinking I was asleep and then waking up. What would you experience? Well, it, it went in different stages. So the first time I experienced it, I didn't know what was happening. Felt like I was looking at the ceiling, but I was like much lighter than I normally would be. And then like I tried to turn around, but I felt like I got stuck. Like almost if you were trying to do like a backflip, but like energy wise. Like imagine if like your spirit self was like trying to do a flip and then you felt like you got stuck trying to do the rotation and then you're just like paralyzed by it. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time. The second time I realized I was in the same mindset as the first time. So I was like, I froze on the back flip. Let's try a front flip. <laughs> so I did a front flip and it worked. And in the process of doing the front flip, I saw myself. You went out of like, your body. Yes. I was like, holy shit. Third time I did the front flip saw myself, then tried to do the backflip, got stuck again. But when I was stuck, my perception now wasn't like turned backwards. My head was to the left and I was kind of looking throughout the room that I was staying in and I could kind of see everything. And it was weirdly bright, yet there was no extra lighting. Um, Fast forward, uh, the last one that I had, which was like the craziest one, at my dad's house, sleeping on the couch, it's like two, one or two in the morning. In this isn't what, at least what happened to me. I get up, my, I walk somewhat to the kitchen. I look at the clock on the microwave that's digital, but instead of it reading time, everything looks like it's in like green hieroglyphics. <laughs> so, like, if it was like one or two in the morning, it was like in four different shapes instead of saying like one o'clock. Yeah. Um, then I work my way to the back door because I thought I heard something. This is all in like the living room area, big glass windows that you can see in the yard. I walk to the window and I do like the hand cupping thing to look outside and I don't see anything. And out of nowhere, I just feel like a sense of energy and I turn around and there's a giant, like dark shadowy thing. Like, oh my God. Like just like psh, bolting, like not even walking, like bolting towards me. i fucking freak out on like some conjuring shit you know when or like i'm trying to remember what uh insidious how the kid goes to like the other sleep world type thing yeah um i flip out next thing you know i'm in the front yard of our property yelling at the top of the my lungs i woke up half the neighborhood my dad's outside uh once like i come to because i kind of like yelled myself awake and i turn around and see him and he's just like looking at me like what the fuck's going on the part that tripped me out about that is I don't know how much of that was me walking around in like a dream state or how much of that was like an astral project and to me, like running to the couch, energy flipping over the couch, landing back into my body and then just getting up and like dead running out the door on like an autopilot thing, thinking I was being chased. Dang. I, uh, I'm pretty open to the <laughs> idea. Like, so people have the look, one thing that I can think that cannot be argued is people have the experiences. Yeah. Just like the psychedelics, like, okay, people take the drugs, they have the experiences. You could say that could be tapping into somewhere, you could be going. But I got curious with astral projection and I did it on purpose. I yeah. got I got the Monroe Institute like playlist and the binaural beats and I went through and I practiced it and it took me a long time. And there's it is like a skill and you it, there's like steps and no, like I said, I slowly was getting better and better. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was so basically it would 
it's I still don't know if it's real because from my experience of playing around with this, um, I was successful in having the experience of astral projection. And just because I had the experience, if I've been honest about it, I'm like, I don't actually know if that's necessarily real. It could be what's happening is and the way that the Monroe Institute explains it and their like CD training set. It's this guy, Robert Monroe, that like went down the rabbit hole on astral projection. Like he, he was all about it, tried to develop tools. And now we know the CIA, Project Stargate, was messing around with this shit too. It's wild. It's super wild. But I was successful. He, the way they explain it is, is you want your body to fall asleep. So when your body falls asleep, I don't know the actual chemical mechanisms, the names of the chemicals, but you release certain chemicals that paralyze your body and make you sleepy and tired and groggy so you don't move around and normally your mind melatonin and stuff yeah and then your mind will go into whatever happens during sleep i don't know much about sleep but it will go into that process that we call sleep what you want to do is you want to get your body to fall asleep but not let your mind fall asleep and so what what i would experience basically the vessel shuts down but the engineer is still behind the wheel yes yeah and then that's where you get you you experience the sleep paralysis and you feel your whole body fill up with tingles. You hear this roaring sound and it gets like really crazy. It feels like you're taking off on a rocket and then everything goes silent and still and your your body shuts off and then you're still awake. And uh, now I don't know if what's happening, maybe in that moment, you just instantly go to the dream world and you're dreaming. But because there's no sleep process there's no like you just you experience it in like a continuous fashion. So you feel like you're awake and but really you're just dreaming. I don't know, but I would have a similar experience where they say try to roll out of your like a lot of people get stuck. They can't get out of their body. Yeah. You did a backflip. You did a front flip. They try, you know, well, I was taught a method to roll over on your shoulder. And after multiple, multiple times, I was finally to get out of my body. And I remember like seeing my wife in the bathroom and like walking around my apartment and nothing. I don't remember. Trip. I don't remember like, and I played with this for a long time. And then, but one time, and I had also read that if you're scared of this stuff, like your emotional state will attract what type of stuff is out there. So, um, and I had still had some like Christian superstition. uh, I think that was messing with me and fear of like, am I going to like summon a devil to like take over my soul or something? Um, and so one time I did it and I, I just, I didn't understand the language, but something spoke to me and I didn't feel like it had my best interests in mind, whatever yeah. it was. Well, that's why I like Insidious so much is because that movie it, scared me because of this experience. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it ties in the aspect of like, of course, like he enjoyed, uh, walking around in that dream state at first because it was nothing but chillness. It was just him getting to hang out at the house at night while he's asleep. But inevitably, things can present themselves that can change like your tone and sense of energy. So here, let me give you an example here. With the window thing that I told you about going to the glass door, generally, I, as a kid, I was terrified of like the dark. When I look outside, of course, I'm always kind of like, what's going on out there? Because I can't see everything. So even though I've done that a million times, it still triggers something in my mind Mm. to have like kind of like a fight or flight uh, feeling to the whole scenario that in turn welcomes like a whole other world of like fears and things that could present themselves. And at that point, I think your mind is so free that anything could insert itself, whether it's an auditory experience, a visual experience. I mean, 
the idea being like that kid goes out of his body enough of course like he's gonna go past a window or see something that might scare him and that could just trigger that energy realm to start attracting itself to him yes. They're like oh there's fear there you know let's move on that the way let's sharks do it. to check it out yeah yeah, yeah, I, so, I, yeah I, I don't i don't fuck with it now i yeah i want nothing to do with it but i do i'm still it, curious though. dude I, in fact i did like a guided meditation the other night like oh I'm, now that i'm a little bit older and I'm like because again i don't know like it maybe you're unlocking something in your mind may, like just because i had the experience i can't say definitively like for sure you're traveling to like another realm of reality maybe you're traveling to your subconscious and you can maybe there's like shared genetic memory passed down from all this terrible shit that's happened to where we came from and there's deep there's demons in our subconscious that have been passed down from generation to generation i mean is is it does it matter like if it's real to you the experience is real uh, then it's real then it's yeah. real yeah i mean my my whole take on it is just genuinely enjoy reality I mean, not all aspects of it, but my reality, I do enjoy. Um, you, don't want, you don't want to mess with it. Yeah. No, it's like, if it's not broken, I'm not going to fix it type of thing. And yeah. it also ties in with like, I've seen enough crazy stuff over the years to know that like, it's one of those Pandora comes out of the box. It doesn't go back in. And after like that, that moment that I had, and I had another one like that, but not as intense, but I was just like, there's something there that I'm not trying to like figure out. And I was like, I love sleep. I just wanted to keep enjoying sleeping. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely had the thought like, as, because I'm just, I have a lot of curiosity about the subject. No, it's a good thing to be curious. About. Um, I just, I just kind of got my answer. It was like, yep, I'm going to see some shit. I don't want to see. But from what I understand going down this rabbit hole, you can also see a lot of cool shit. It's not always people, people claim, I don't know. Again, people claim that, they can travel multiple times and they can get good. And, and that there's this whole world that people have mapped out. I ran into this religious. So I did the Mormon mission thing in Australia yeah. and I ended up running across a lot of other very religious zealous type people because I was one of them and you end up running into each other. And I got a pamphlet from some guy whose religion was based on astral travel. And they had this. That's whole, cool. And they had this whole map of like places you could go and layers of reality and different gurus and, I was like, and I was, I played with it then as a missionary, but then I felt really bad. I was very indoctrinated against experimenting anything yeah, of that nature. Yeah, it's challenging the system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that curiosity drives me, but that same opening Pandora's box, I've literally had the thought like, okay, <clears throat> I know that someone told me to do a set of steps, follow this training program, and they predicted what type of experience I would have. And I did it and I had the experience. I had the rush. I had the tinglys, my body, like everything they said was going to happen, happened. I followed the instructions and I had these handful of experiences. That's real. I had the experience. Yeah. If it does open a Pandora's box, like I've had the thought, I can't play with that again because I have kids. What if I go crazy? That's if I was thinking, like, if, I if I was single, I lose all like aspects yeah. of like my artistic ability and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But man, I'm so curious about it. I watch, I'll watch like YouTube videos of people who claim they astral project. And I, even though I've had an experience, I still don't know what I think about it. But what I do like all these subjects that we're talking about, I like if people can at least get to the point to admit that there's some sort of phenomena happen. It doesn't, the explanation doesn't have to be the community thinks it is like maybe all these UFOs really are Jeff Bezos secret Iron Man project. Uh. Okay. Right. <laughs> But yeah. there, there is a phenomena out there. Maybe the, an the most common answer, which is attributed to aliens, is not correct. 
but people are seeing these craft. It's happening. So we should look at it. People are having these near-death experiences. Another one I got into is people are having early child. Your children are having memories of past lives and people are, are that able, one blows my mind. That like one blows like, my mind. Feel like they were in World War Two and like no names and things like that. And like you can track soon. down like there was this one episode of a dad who obviously got obsessed when his kids started like talking about this past life. The dad tracked down the ship, the person he was, his crewmates, the living relatives. This kid knew shit about planes because he was this pilot. He knew he could. They brought in researchers that showed him different pictures, like six different pictures of women and like, who is your mother? And he'd point to the one that was the mother of the person they suspect he's having. And it's like, and what I didn't know of this documentary is that this stuff is being cataloged and researched in our universities. They interview people from Harvard and Stanford and they have departments where they don't necessarily say we know what's going on, but what we're doing is we're cataloging all the, the people who are claiming to have these experiences and we're sending someone out to try to like, investigate it and then we're cataloging cataloging that and these things are happening thousands of times a year just in america kids are claiming this type of thing i mean if you look did you see the uh most recent predator movie of the alien predator series i i think i saw avp where they end on like the pyramid yeah no that one that, that one's fun super cheesy but that's a fun one um they came out with predator recently which was really like a new predator yeah like we saw it i think like two years ago it's kind of like a homage to the original one with arnold schwarzenegger um definitely check it out i didn't know this yeah yeah it's a good watch the the movie's really interesting because there's uh main character and then his son is uh high on the spectrum with being uh having autism they take a moment through the film and discuss how a lot of scientists believe that autism is actually the next logical evolutionary step for mankind massive spoiler alert mass effect plays with that idea too really yeah so that to me is really interesting because if you look at um like autism for example and any type of irregularity in regards to like the normal trends of human beings the average person would view a person who's on the spectrum as that being a negative thing and that's been a mindset for a very long time and it isn't until recently thanks to science and scholars being able to say no we're just not looking at it from the right perspective you know what i mean so if we can be so set in our ways about one thing and then over time, change that to realize, no, we're actually just fighting evolution. How can that not apply to anything else when you talk about astral projection, aliens, yeah. life on this planet? I mean, it's all about perspective. You know, you grew up one way, feeling a certain way, thinking this is how your life would be. And then out over time, you change that to kind of be like, no, I'm just going to kind of go, you know, think and feel differently about what I do and how I spend my time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all about perspective. Interesting. I didn't. That's a cool idea that, that Predator talks about this. And I thought that too yeah. about autism. Like they have um, that, uh, to, to loop it back to what way earlier in our conversation, crypto, when we were talking about the difference between Charles and Vitalik. Vitalik mm. to me seems like autism, genius, technology. Well, like, he's like the natural evolution who can use that ability and harness yes. it to something and then turn it into being one of the greatest modern like inventors of our generation yeah yeah he's he's a great mind in like the autistic style or the flavor and charles is a great mind but it's like a whole different beast they're completely the rock star mindset mentality comes into play yeah yeah 
Dave, dude, it's been a wild, wild conversation. We're at, it's at 6.30, 7.30, 8.30, 9.30. We're at almost three and a half, four hours. It's a good podcast. That's yeah. a good podcast. You know, it's funny. I know that's when it's going good. I always say, I'm going to try to keep them under two hours. Just, I don't know. But then if the conversation is good, usually people will tell me, I ended up listening to the whole one. <laughs> that went four or five hours. I'm like, probably because if we're enjoying the conversation enough to go four hours, then chances are a listener could also enjoy it that much. Hopefully, I hope you guys, we talked about, I'll put a disclaimer a in the stuff. intro of like, okay, from this timestamp to this timestamp, there's actual video games. Everything else is just wild. Listen at your own Crypto, risk. Crypto, <laughs> aliens, astral projections, pyramids, yeah, universal I've, amnesia. I'm, I've, I've never actually talked about astral projection because that's one thing I'm, I don't want people to think I'm crazy. And I don't, again, I, I don't know. All I know is I had the experience. And I was, also disclaimer, totally sober. Every time I followed these steps to this protocol, which is what really freaks me out, is there's a protocol you can follow and you can replicate the experience. I mean, Hunter S. Thompson said it himself. Uh, you can get a lot higher without drugs than you can with them. Coming from a guy who I thought Live, only did drugs. <laughs> he lived his life on chemicals pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, not his early life, but the end for sure. So do you mind if I preface it something or to close out on my end? Yeah. Do your thing. So I just wanted to say thank you if anybody's still listening, obviously. Um, I know our conversation's kind of all over the place uh, as opposed to if we came in here with a general plan, but we didn't. And that's kind of how I like talking to people and building friendships and relationships with people. I just kind of like the idea of a tie-dye free form of conversation. You know, we could spend an hour talking about uh, any amount of things and then we'll find like a cool segment of like, yeah, now we're just going to talk about the last of us for 10 minutes, even though we've been talking about gaming yeah. vaguely for however long, this is just kind of how I communicate with people. If it's not, your cup of tea or you think i'm absolutely nuts for communicating like that all good i'm glad you don't have to deal with my mindset <laughs> <laughs> but if you did listen and you enjoyed it and you want to check out any of the things we talked about everything i discussed is just stuff i read on the internet every day and i would challenge anybody who did find this interesting to continue to do what they can to challenge themselves every day to learn something new and when you go and learn that new thing don't just learn from one perspective uh, learn the left side's perspective, the right side's, the middles, and then develop your own opinion on it. And life is way more interesting and fun when you do it that way. Yeah, I do that a lot uh, in general. Like Absolutely. I'll, I'll, uh, like, uh, you know, Bob Lazar, you ever heard about him? He's a UFO. He's, he's a divisive figure in the UFO community and what his claims are. And I spent like a while. Yeah, listening. yeah, yeah. I know who this is. Okay. Yeah. There's like lots of good content, pro Bob and skeptical Bob, and I've watched both. And it's actually the the I find that when you can't when you don't marry your like I want honest I want Bob to be telling the truth because it's sexier, it's yeah. a sexier story. But you have to I have to say you know what? Let me listen to all the naysayers. And I have noticed myself, even though I'm going out of my way, I fulfill the beginning of emotional reactions when I start getting exposed to evidence that's making me think against the things I want to be true. Even now, after coming out of Mormonism, I can still like, and I think people don't think that that happens to them. Like it happens subconsciously and they don't notice it, but it is happening to you when you're coming across information. And I see it in myself all the time. Something stupid is Bob Lazar and aliens, right? Who cares? It's just aliens. I want mm -hmm. it to be true. I start watching this documentary that's critical of Bob Lazar and I 
how to get over a 15 to 30 second urge to, to turn it off. And I, I was it's interesting being like, Oh, now I, now I'm getting to the point where I'm aware enough where I can actually see it at least happening and know that, okay, that's normal. And I think a lot of people don't, they just turn it off and they don't, they chalk it up in their mind. Like, Oh, I figured out, I realized it was bullshit. He said something that I knew it was wrong. I can disregard it. Really. It's just some sort of emotional response. And the, the quest of knowledge for oneself is important to remember that those who are teaching you all were just like you at one point and just like you, they make mistakes. Yes. Um, nobody knows everything. Half the stuff you and I could have talked about could be disproven by somebody who's an expert in <laughs> probably 90 any of, of those things <laughs> at any time. The yeah. idea is life is a trip and it's a great honor to get to exist and be consciously aware, have fingers that work so you can type and read and learn about stuff and buy books and observe and then eventually develop your own opinions about those things and share them with others. Um, never shoot the messenger. Just either take what you want from the messenger that you love, respect that like you don't appreciate how they approached it and learn from that so you don't do that yourself and then make yourself look like an asshole to somebody else and have the tables turned on you. <laughs> And, stay open-minded and challenge yourself to learn stay open-minded and watch yeah. out for the ufos they're coming yeah absolutely. i'm telling you they're coming um where can, we didn't actually talk we talked a little bit about your music in the beginning no it's all good we all i ever do is talk about music so it was nice it was to, nice to not talk about it yeah yeah, yeah i get yeah, it yeah well um headphone activists people can find your music basically anywhere they stream music yeah uh every platform that offers music streaming services it's available uh uh, you're wondering kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm just releasing as much music as I possibly can. So there's a ton of stuff on there from my past catalog. The newer stuff is more based for podcasts, studying, traveling, relaxing. Um, yeah, I mean, the nice thing is the catalog will kind of speak for itself. That's, again, why this podcast is so nice, because we just got to talk about other stuff that interests me aside from how many views a video has or where I think a genre sounds going. Yeah. Um, that's a good, that's a good point. I was gonna, sometimes I make producers just like, what's that? How would you describe your music in everyone? No, would... no, it's, it's all good. I mean, it's just the music kind of says it for itself. Yep. I, I just like music. There's more music that I like than music that I don't like. So I just emulate that through my own work. Um, any shows coming up? Not really. Um, the Everything's kind of coming back in full form. Uh, I've got offers coming in and I might do, you know, little things here and there. But my big interest now is just writing music, sharing it online like I've been doing and uh, diversifying into blockchain. And then yeah. the rest of my time will be dedicated to having a normal sleep schedule, eating healthy, exercising, gaming always. Yes. But uh, incorporating things like gardening and having more time to read my books again and not worrying about uh, touring and playing festivals because I did it for 10 years. Loved it. I don't want to do it for another 10 years. Just, just too much anxiety comes along with it. You know, a, a lot of guys. A, I, business. a lot of guys. If, I feel I had, you've talked to Christian way more than me. The last time I've caught up with Christian and Aaron, they kind of, I kind of get the same feeling from them, too. I'm like, eh, it's, well, I'm over you, it. You know, you, you get into something and it's just like living on this planet. Uh, who I was when I was 10 is different than who I am at 20. Yes. Who I was at 20 is different than who I am now at 30. In the music world, you know, enough festival seasons, enough shows, enough re revolutions around the sun, if you will, of being an artist, your perspective changes from the day that you started. Yeah. Um, it's the same way with dating. When people are younger, they're 
always down to go on another date but by the time they get older and they're still single they don't even care to go on dates because it's such a drag monotonous routine of just like maybe this will work and it doesn't um it's it's not it's not all bad it's just from a music relationship with music and live music specifically i got to do it for 10 years and i think that's more than most people will ever get to do something that they believe in as a passion and make a living doing that i consider myself like a lottery winner from that perspective um at this point i'm just you know making the most of my time to diversify yeah uh, my energy and my mind and my time just like you know i'm not going to put all my money in bitcoin <laughs> i want some in ethereum i want some in solano chain link <laughs> dot i'm not just going to play shooters i want to play tabletops mmorpgs i want to go farm and stardew valley that's who i am as a person i like to do multiple things and enjoy all of those aspects of the yes world. I've, yeah. I've said in the past I, 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 over time, I feel like I kept coming to the same conclusion is you have two paths in life. You can go truly all in on something and try to be world-class, or you can be a jack of all trades, master of none, and put those trades together in an interesting way. Yeah. I'd and, like to be a master of learning. <laughs> master of one. Master of learning new things. Yeah. 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 Master of learning. Yeah. What was I going to ask? Oh, and I can't remember. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I wanted to, the conversation was really enjoyable. I want you to come Thank on you. again, but I also, I'm going to challenge you. I will play, uh, I was looking at Gothic. And what was the other one you want me to play? Stardew, Stardew Valley. Valley. Yeah. I'm going to take away, you can still try Spirit Fair because that's something you could play with your, your girl. But yeah, I don't, whenever it just set aside like two weeks to go through the Mass Effect trilogy. That's all you need. Two weeks. Okay. Let me ask uh, you this. Would you want me to play Mass Effect or the Witcher series? If you had to Mass Effect. One? Fuck okay. the Witcher. Okay. 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 I'm just making sure. I'm I love the sure. Witcher, but in this, it, it's, there's no comparison. The trilogy, um, because I would, I would also love to hop on and talk to you about it like right when it's fresh. Because like Last of Us 2, uh, Mass Effect, don't get spoiled. Be careful out there. It has a very controversial ending, um, which I ended up liking i had never beat it until recently that i played the first two never played the third never got spoiled finally played went through the whole thing and ended up loving it i don't know what all the the anger was about i'd love to chat you when it's fresh on your mind the whole the whole thing we'll we'll line something up so once i move in september um we'll be home and then we have like a family vacation we're taking which i'm excited about because it's with her family and mine um, to kind of like solidify oh, me living shit, here for five son. years. Now I was yeah. up there. It'll be good. But that wraps up in October. And then, you know, come November, December into next year, I kind of just plan to do what I'm doing, which is wake up uh, five days a week, take my classes on technical analysis, and become a chart. What was the term that we used? I call, chart. Chart, I call them chart heads, but yeah, chart head. That's TA, great. TA yeah, guys. Yeah, become a chart head and write music and game. So we'll line it up sometime around then. Sweet. And see how that goes. And then the cool thing about that is if it works out, that'll be right around the time that the new Potter game comes out. Oh, so, yes. Yeah. When is that release date supposed to be? I thought it was 2022, wasn't it? Yeah, so this is what I'm saying now, since it's crazy, we're already in July. Um, I won't really have time to purely enjoy Mass Effect and then talk about it until like October, November. So yes. by the time I'm done with that and taking a break from like a big quest story game. Uh, oh, it does say 2021 for Harry Potter. You're right. Yeah, so Potter will probably be rolling out either late 2021, early 2022. 
2022. I'm, yeah, they're going to. They'll probably go for like holiday. That's or, what I was just going to yeah. say. Yeah, they'd be crazy not to. Oh, it got me pumped on this game. Yeah, oh, this yeah. game is going to be so. It's going to be so good. Hopefully, I mean, I guess it could bomb. It could. Who's developing this? I forgot. That's a good question. I don't know actually. Harry Potter Legacy, an open world game to re- I redefine. Want to say EA? Was it tied in with EA? They're probably publishing it. They they got the big money to to buy the, the life. But I wonder what studio. I'll figure it out. Appreciate it, man. We went on. Yeah, we're at like we're. It's it's a hot. It's been a hot minute. No, I, I. Okay, thanks for asking me to be a part of it. I hope I was a decent guest. No, you were. To actually knowing a thing or two about games. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh. I knew you were into gaming because of seeing you on Discord hanging out with Christian and Aaron. Yeah. But I, so I knew there would be enough. And I'm, and I always just think, oh, we could talk about music. I produce, like, I, if he's not like super into, sometimes I get guys on, they're like, I played two games. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll talk about other shit. But you were, uh, it was good. I mean, thank you. It was really good. When, um, the next time I'm on too, if you want, we could actually talk about my time at Sony and being, uh, uh, regional rep for them. I'm doing, uh, doing a sales rep. Yeah. Well, so I got a, a job with them years ago while I was trying to get the music career going. And uh, I ended up working for them as a brand ambassador in the Northeast sector for uh, Pittsburgh. And um, anyways, long story short, I got to uh, become the third highest generating uh, salesman over New York and uh, Philadelphia for the entire East coast, which is pretty cool. What were you primarily selling? Uh, so it was right around the time that the four came out, uh, PlayStation okay. Four, and they were just placing me in Best Buys, WalMarts, and I went in my street gear and a lanyard, and I would just talk to people about uh, games, uh, educating parents on everything from like, hey, like in case you didn't know, like they don't just play games anymore. You can run your entire uh, DVD, Netflix. <laughs> you can stream music from them now. Uh, so you were slinging PS4s in Best Buys? Pretty much. I basically would go in, build relationships uh, with the people in the store, like the managers ahead of time that were set up through the company. And then they just kind of tried me out to see how I was with customers. And I never got a single complaint over like six months of working uh, for them. People always were just saying like, wow, like I learned more about the system with after talking to him for an hour than uh you know if i spent a, a month online trying to learn about them and read That's about them. yeah we definitely got to talk about that it's another eerily similar overlap there's like been four or five guests where i'm like man i i not like video games like when you play mass effect or you play skyrim you know how there's only so many base models you can start your yeah. character yeah, yeah, customization yeah. from sometimes i'm like i bet we boil down to like 100 archetypes because every time every, every once in a while i run across people like you or like there's so much weird overlap because i did door-to-door sales yeah. trying to get my music career while i was doing the music career you sling <laughs> playstations i sling alarms it's just it's odd it's a good experience though it's a good skill i'm no never- it is i mean that get that company let me learn that like it was the first time i ever woke up in the morning and looked forward to going to work um and it's what pushed me when that job ended to go full-time with my music because i was like i want to feel this way every day when I wake up that I can't wait to get to work as opposed to uh, trying to take, I don't know what an extra five, 10, 15, 20 minutes of uh, time. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, like I'll just hold off this long before I try and go uh, to the store <laughs> uh, to get this gas so I can get to work to then sit for the next eight hours waiting to get, get home, to get home. To do the thing. Yeah. 
what age what age were you when you decided to do music full time um well i was i was working as uh like a doorman a showrunner and all of that for mm. i would say five years until i turned 20 and 21 and then around 21 i kind of like cleaned up my act stopped partying as much and uh started focusing on you know writing music any free second i had in the day or if i wasn't delivering pizza or cleaning toilets or whatever job i had um it was just dedicated to music and so that was like 21 and now i'll be 31 on monday 10 uh, years a decade so about 10 years of really putting time and energy and like focus of like this is what i want out of my life so that's impressive dude like, i thank do, you i believe you are correct uh, when you view yourself as a lottery winner i think supporting yourself doing something for 10 years as as difficult as like very few people even get to that i mean i i i did a few small tours got to play with a few of my heroes and oh, yeah. uh, made some money and I, I felt like that was like, damn, most people can't even do that. So that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's, it's a blessing, man. And yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's funny explaining to people where it's like, I'm not, you know, quitting per se. It's just like, I won the lottery. You don't go back and keep buying tickets. Yeah. <laughs> you won the lottery. Like, I, you, enjoy, you enjoy the ride and then you make the most of your winnings and what you have left over and go do something else with your time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Headphone activist, everybody. I will put all the, the stuff in the podcast description, Spotify, Thanks, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, whatever, headphone activists. And uh, dude, thank you so much. Uh, we'll, no, we will you, definitely have you on. And I I will pester you about Mass Effect. So yeah, no, please. That. You have to, because like with the way things go right now, I just, I forget things. So please keep, keep uh, on me on that, because I really want to see. Uh, what the hype is i've been waiting so long to play it so thank you though anyways for having me on the show um and thank you just for picking my brain it's cool getting to go down memory lane and share in like these iconic moments that some people would just be like oh it's kind of lame and i'm like no these are massively important moments in my life it's a games it's a good way to meet i've 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 become at least moderately good friends with every guest because it's like i think because when you talk about nostalgia it puts everyone in like a friendly emotional state. Absolutely. And so it's easy to connect with people. It's a great tool. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, it's as fun as the game itself is. It's even more fun getting to talk about your shared experience with the game. So thank you for having me on the show to do that. No worries. All right, everybody. Bye-bye.